Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Biomass. We're on episode 154. We have a couple new guests, uh, well, returning guests, but uh, they haven't been with us in a while, so we're, we're glad to have them. So let's go straight into some introductions, starting at the top of the list with Soraya Zell. Hi, I'm Soraya Zell. Um, I'm a co-host here on the show. Um, I play a heck of a lot of Blizzard games and uh, you know a little bit of Mass Effect and stuff like that. All right, and Bate? Hey everybody, what's up? I'm Bait, and I am eating banana and drinking a beverage out of a blue solo cup. You're, you're taking notes on this, right, Sal? I, I am not. I am not. Okay, not, 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 not. All right, and uh, forgive me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but uh, Astray, is that the, the right way to say it? Sure. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, how do you say your name? We'll just work with it. Um, I am Astria, and yeah. We'll get to that later. All right. And she has been on the show uh, before, but it's been a really, really long time. So uh, glad to have you back. And another returning guest is Lether. Say hi. Hey, guys. I used to play video games, and then I took a grad school to the knee. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, Jay, you're up. Yep. I'm Jay, and uh, I'm usually here for comic relief. uh, I, too, have suffered a career-ending injury in grad school, but uh, it's okay. You're young. You'll probably be able to shake that off. Rub a little salt on it. You'll be fine, Lether. I've got plenty of salt. Yeah. Okay. That's good. All righty. And I'm Pokey Draven. I obviously help uh, co-host the show here, uh, write for the blog, and I also manage uh, a lot of the other stuff we do, including our new uh, YouTube series where we're doing some uh, gameplay of uh, various games. Uh, Resident Evil 7 is kind of our current fare, so be sure to check that out. But that being said, let's move into some topics. We've got a pretty long list of uh, discussion and news here. So starting off with... Uh, here. Uh, so movies and entertainment. We've got uh, a couple things. Uh, I know that Zell, you went and saw The Circle, right? I did. Um, I, I'm uh, I'm the uh, podcast resident uh, Google hater, as the case is. So um, I absolutely had to go see The Circle, which is a um, uh, take on privacy in in the tech world and uh, how it it may or may not be a good thing for the rest of society. Um, and uh, I, I actually I lowered my expectations really far the day like before I went into the movie because uh, this movie has actually gotten trashed on Rotten Tomatoes. It has like a seventeen percent on uh, on Rotten Tomatoes right now, which is is you know better than the Fantastic Four movie, um, but not by a heck of a lot. Uh, it's not a good rating. Um, I actually I really enjoyed it though. Um, I actually think that. Uh, I kind of wonder if some of the reasons that people didn't like it was maybe they didn't uh, get it as much as I do because I actually pay attention to this stuff. Um, There was a lot of little subtle, uh, subtle aspects to it about um, uh, very particularly Google um, that uh, I I don't think a lot of people realize. Um, One of the things that was really early on in in the movie was they start asking the main character, May, like, you know, why weren't you here this weekend? Is like, wait, is there work on the No, 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 there's all these extracurricular things you can be a part of. Why aren't you spending more time at the campus? You know, um, and that's um, just kind of this little cultish mentality that that follows that company around and, and getting people to spend as much time as and, and with as many friends as they can in-house. Um, so there, there was stuff like that. I enjoyed it. I thought it was pretty good. Um, I guess they did radically change the ending i'm not going to spoil what it is um and i i i haven't i haven't read the book so i don't know what the original ending was but i suspect it would have been better um i think the ending kind of ruins the message a little bit um 
But I enjoyed it. It was a good movie. Wait a second. You mean to tell me this whole movie is a parody of Google? No way. I'm so shocked by that. <laughs> Pretty much. Oh, my God. The the only thing that's uh, hilariously Apple is is that, you know, this is uh, – they have – obviously, because it's the circle, they have this big circular uh, – headquarters campus i was about to say is it a spaceship like it 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 is the it is almost the exact same design as apple's new big giant ring campus thing that they're building so no i love the news articles out of silicon valley about that place i think i said i saw something about like someone complaining about apple taking like good trees or something i swear i remember reading this how do you know if a tree is good i don't uh, may, maybe I'm misremembering something, but I swear I saw some kind of trash headline that I skimmed over. That was something like this. There, there, are, there are just the the amount of stuff out of Silicon Valley now is just magical. One of one of my favorite stories from like the last week or two was that there's like this seven hundred dollar juice maker called Juicero that like presses these juice packs uh, to 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 make like freshly squeezed perfect juice and somebody figured out that you could just squeeze them with your hand and skip the $700 juice maker. <laughs> oh, oh, that's yeah, not it was all Bloomberg, of it. right? Oh, it's been everywhere. It's, it's been a, it's been but a I great think, joke. I think it was like Bloomberg who like they, they had one of their reporters who posted the video. I feel like it, but it, might I thought have been. it, it released on like May 3rd, uh, not May, sorry, March 30th last year. I thought, I thought for the past year it was a, an April fool's joke, but it was not. It was a real thing that you could really get. And they would only sell the juice, like the, the packs of, of vegetables or fruit that you would squeeze. You could only get those packets if you bought the $700 machine, but the $700 machine is completely useless. You're going to love this too, Zell. The, the, the juicer itself will not actually work unless it's hooked up to your Wi-Fi. That, that's to be clear the uh the ceo says though that these features are for the um the uh, protection and safety of their consumers because um it scans like the barcode on the juice pack to determine whether or not it's been like recalled or something or if it's like sure. past its date so it's very important that it can scan that and, and report it back to the cloud because you know it, it, you got to protect you. You can't you can't be counted on to read the expiration date yourself. Because I, I really but, need my my juice to be hackable now. That's that's really what I want in my life. You really can't be trusted to to read the expiration date though, dude. I went to make a peanut butter sandwich the other day and I fucking ate like bit into a piece of moldy bread. It was bad. Uh, kids. <laughs> I think I think people are really killing like humanity by inventing more things that give us greater convenience i i really do like fast food and things that basically have us not put as much energy or effort into actually doing things ourselves we're all turning into the people in the wally movie it's really true floating the the little floating wheelchair thing that with the screen and the food so you could just like zoom around while watching tv and filling your face and that's it i, Man, I, I remember i remember okay. watching that film thinking we're, yeah it's gonna be a, we're, it's all gonna be a keep <laughs> we're all turning into the characters in wally <laughs> that's gonna be us like yeah. i remember i remember the opening of that movie and like literally first two seconds, I went with my sister and uh, for some reason, it was like, a, it's like this view of the earth and it's slightly brown. And I turned to her and I don't usually talk during movies. And I said, I wonder if this entire thing is going to be a political statement. <laughs> like <It was>. zero <laughs> content. And I always remember this. 
See, my only, I, I have a challenge of that actually is talking to people during movies. It's actually, I was really lucky. Um, when I saw Sully, we were, we were actually in a theater that we were, the, that my friend and I were the only two people in the showing. So we could just like chat during the movie. Um, but the, the one remark I had on the circle was, um, that, that like the main character may Holland starts in like customer experience, just like their customer service department. <laughs> my friend leads over and like, all right, so this is totally not related to Google. They have customer service. But, yeah. Uh, I mean... Google really should have customer service. They they do for certain products, for they instance. Do, they do for the advertisers, a.k.a. their real customers. Uh, So I get my phone service through Google right now, and that customer service has been pretty good to me. When I've had issues, phone services. You can what the fuck? You can do that, dude. He has a Google. Yeah. He has a, he has like a Google Google phone. Like like not just like a Google on a phone, but like a Google phone. It's a Nexus Six. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, dude. Mm. I love I love my Nexus. All right, so we're uh, we're kind of running off. We're, we're, we're here. drifting here, but uh, so let's yeah. let's put it back on it. So, uh, spoiler free, obviously, what was your kind of like uh, out of 10 rating of the, of, the, of the film? Like a 7, maybe an 8. Okay. Yeah, that's just one that I, I, I'd like to try to find the time to go see because it, it probably would be pretty interesting and, and fairly relevant to all the recent shenanigans you see Google kind of going through and, and you know, moving towards the dystopian you know, empire that we're all, you know, clearly rushing towards as fast as we can. So uh, it'll, it'll be a good one. I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of checking this one out if I can get the time for it. So that's pretty good. And in, in a couple of weeks, um, usually we do about two weeks, we'll kind of do a spoiler review if, if more people want to hop on and kind of talk about, you know, specific plot points. So you have two weeks to go see the film and then we'll talk about it. Hey, real quick, Zell, why was Beck in the movie? Um, he was, uh, they had like a Google only concert for, well, okay, sorry. So it was a, this, it was a concert just for circlers on the circle campus. Um, I, I need to remember to use the correct replacements for the real world companies that we don't <laughs> want to get, get sued, sued for talking about. Um, yeah, that was it. That's dumb. Okay. Thanks. Good stuff. Uh, another film that, uh, came up with a trailer this, uh, this week was the Kingsman, the golden circle. So this is the sequel to the original Kingsman. Um, did you guys see that one? The, the original one? Yes. Yes, yep. yes I did. And that, was, the, that was one of those that came out, of kind of came out of nowhere and was really a surprise. Yeah. I was, I was like, Oh yeah, that's a film. And then um, I think Libby dragged me to see it. And I was like, Oh, this is actually pretty, pretty damn good. Like it was, it was kind of crazy over the top and awesome. Uh, and it looks like the sequel uh, is kind of the same. You know, it's a lot of the same stuff. Looks pretty good. And what do you guys think? But the first one's all right. I am going to go see the second one though, based on the trailer. So. The only thing that I didn't like about the first movie was the very ending. <laughs> I was. Yeah, that was weird. <laughs> I was just watching them like, really, we're ending with butt sex? Come on. It, that, that particular part, like, it was, it was a cute gag, but then when they actually followed through with it, it was like, well, okay, I guess? Like, you, you said you were going to do it, but I didn't think you'd actually show it. Like, all right, fine. Exactly. It was so awkward for me. But, no, the trailer for the second movie looks super awesome, and I loved how they inputted Frank Sinatra's uh, My Way into the oh, yes. into the trailer and the way that they did it i thought it was really 
page is stellar. Yeah. What about you, Jay? Uh, I, it was actually quite good, I thought. Um, it's actually, I, I kind of enjoyed it a little bit better than the graphic novel that it, that it actually came from, If you, it, which is actually quite good, by the way. It's, it's pretty solid. If you ever look it up, you can probably get it on a comiXology or something like that, pretty cheap. But uh, the art style in that is is nowhere near as uh, uh, like descriptive of what as what goes on in the movie. It, it, the art style in, in the graphic novel is very much like a 1970s you know Bond movie. Everybody's all the guys are wearing basically like uniform looking black suits, and it's, it's you know a little bit difficult to figure out who's who. Uh, whereas the movie did a really good job of really. Um, updating that updating that story and really telling it in a way that uh, the graphic you know like visually kind of jumped out at you and for the record i would not have thought colin firth could have been an action action guy but he did really well uh i, I thought that the church scene was pretty pretty wicked good uh so yeah i'm actually looking forward to uh to the kingsman part two which is it, I saw the I saw the trailer today that you guys had. I saw the original one, uh, so it's I'm kind of interested to see how they do this and uh, see if they can kind of uh, capture a little bit of the magic from the first movie. It's a kind of a strange cast list too. Um, it is. It's, yeah. it's ha- like at the bottom half of it here is Halle Berry, Elton John, Channing Tatum, and Jeff Bridges. Um, question, real quick. I wasn't sure because I I didn't have my glasses on when I watched the trailer. But Stanley Tucci appears to be in that movie, right? Who? Stanley Tucci. I do not know. I can look that up real quick. He was in The Devil's Wears Prada and a bunch of different movies. He's a really great actor. Yeah, he's, a pretty, solid, yeah, he's a pretty solid character actor. I just, I'm not sure if he's in He He very, may very well be in the movie. We're talking about, uh, <laughs> talking about Kingsman, right? Kingsman, right? Yeah, Kingsman too. Uh, it doesn't look like it. I, I don't see him on the list, but it's one of those things too. Is like they may not have put like the full cast list into IMDb yet. Oh, dude, hmm. I know what he is in though. Fucking Transformers. Well, uh, he oh, is in Transformers. Oh. <laughs> oh no! Is that still going on? Transformers. Yes. Unfortunately. There's a new one coming out this year. Fucking movie of the year, dude. You gotta go see it, Luther. <laughs> I basically give up on any movies where they start out with characters and actors train those characters and then they drop for whatever reason. I don't I don't like inconsistently inconsistency like that. Well, I, now I'll buy that uh, up to a degree, but let's let we got to have a little bit of dose of reality in that like a good third of a while of anybody working in Hollywood is probably batshit crazy though. So you got to, you got to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. And for the record, he's made like, like eight or nine of these things. I just wanted to, to also add, um, as far as like Kingsman, when you mentioned the church scene, Jay, like I just, I just remembered that. And I think I speak for all of us <laughs> when I say like, sometimes especially with what goes on in the world today with politics and the craziest sheep will do. I think that that movie, that scene was just a release, kind of like, thank God somebody's doing something about it. Yeah. Hey, did, did you guys catch who the original Lancelot was in the, in the opening scene of the movie? Uh, no. It was the, uh, it was the, the British captain from uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Really? Yeah. From the the very first one? Yeah. <laughs> Jeez. Huh. Did not know that. That's pretty cool. 
Yeah, the best move in that was when he uh, when he cut the guy's throat and he turned and he like caught the scotch off of the off the glass as he was going down and had a drink. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No. That 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 uh, that film had a lot of flair to it. It was, it was really enjoyable. I hope they can kind of like like you said, Jay, kind of capture the magic the first one had with the sequel. Because I will, again, I, I wasn't really gonna go see the first one. And I kind of got coursed into it, and then I was like, oh, I'm actually. Really glad I saw that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this sequel. It's going to be pretty cool. It looks like it's coming out uh, September 22nd this year. So not too far off. Uh, about six months, I think. So it'll be good to go see that when it comes out. <clears throat> Another film that, of course, we all kind of been following. Um, I didn't get a chance to go see it, but Guardians of the Galaxy 2 came well, out this weekend. It's I, not out till next week here. What? Oh, in, I'm sorry. International came out. But yes. So international release it made $101 million. Uh, internationally, and that's that without domestic sales. I mean, that's uh, that's not bad, you know. I'm a little upset that we're we're we have to wait after everybody else, but that, that is actually many times not the case. Though a lot of times it's it's uh, inverted. Like I got a got a lot of friends down in Australia, and they actually uh, often we ours it'll be offset by about two weeks in either direction, and it's usually fifty fifty which way it goes. Yeah, I didn't realize that actually it, uh, it went international first. That's that is kind of weird. So that's uh, yeah, it's going to be good to see that though. I'm I'm looking forward to it. I mean, yeah. I was excited about the circle, but had Guardians of the Galaxy two actually come out this weekend here, <laughs> that, that would have been oh. the movie I would have gone to see. Yeah, I mean that's 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 pretty solid. I mean, obviously it's it's doing pretty well, and we kind of expected it to. It, it's everything up to this point looked pretty solid on it. So I'm 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 looking forward to it. Alrighty, so let's kind of move into some of our, our gaming-related news. Now, there's a lot of uh, a lot of buzz coming out of Blizzard lately for for all of their franchises and stuff. So, uh, Zell, do you want to tell us a bit about the Overwatch Diva cinematic that just kind of came out? All right. So, well, this is kind of like their Heroes of the Storm 2.0 cinematic they did, and um, I actually, you know, the quality it it was surprisingly poor, I think, compared to the original cinematic for the game. And what we've come to expect from like the the main Overwatch cinematics, some of the um, uh, World of Warcraft cinematics, I felt that this one looked a, a little bit less. Um, it, it, I would say it looked less movie quality and more like game quality. Um, but you know, it is what it is, and it was uh, yeah. The the thing that they revealed is that Diva is going to be the next uh, hero that they add to Heroes of the Storm. Uh, which kind of fits that since they did the Hanamura map and and Genji coming in and and so they they like to add the game add new games kind of they as a as a focus for a short while, um, so uh, there's that and then the big thing that they also announced was that they were doing the Nexus Challenge 2.0 event, um, which is kind of a, a thing that they do to encourage people to play Overwatch to uh, come up and try uh, Heroes of the Storm. Um, they have perks for both Heroes of the Storm and Overwatch for playing um, games of Heroes of the Storm well, uh, friend, well in a party with your friend. Um, so um, the uh, the first week of it actually is just about to end. Um, but for the first week, it was uh, they had the same reward they had for the original Nexus Challenge event, which was a, a Genji skin you could get in Overwatch, as well as a mount for uh, Heroes of the Storm, and then. Um, this next week is the uh, Officer Diva skin, um, which we will get to. And so for each one of these weeks, you play five games with a friend um, of Heroes of the Storm, and you'll get the rewards. Uh, the week after that, there's like some sprays and banners and stuff like that. And then the final week, I think you get like 10 uh, Heroes of the Storm loot boxes and 10 Overwatch loot boxes. So, um, you know, there's there's some nice stuff for, for bo- both games. Um, 
for participating in the event. So if you do the Heroes of the Storm event, you're guaranteed the skins in Overwatch? Yes, yes. Okay. You, do five, to... you do five games with a, with a friend of Heroes of the Storm, and you will unlock the, the stuff for Overwatch. Now, I think we were trying to figure out if they had done it yet, because Blizzard had mentioned that they were going to put the skins that are available through the Heroes of the Storm event into loot boxes for uh, Overwatch, so you could still get them. And they said at a later date, but I think we were kind of trying to find out if it was in there already or not. Well, the skins are in the game, but they're not unlockable, like right now. Okay, so you can't actually get them to drop. I don't think so. Okay, so... I, the very I know least, at least you can't buy them. Right. Yeah, because I know that there was some... Uh, some uh, backlash from the Overwatch players who may not have a PC and aren't able to play Heroes of the Storm that they wouldn't be able to get the skins, but this obviously gives them an option to. But it sounds like if you do do, if you have the ability to and actually do play Heroes of the Storm, it's uh, a bit more deterministic. You can you know, guarantee get them rather than having to right. try to get the, the random drop through Overwatch itself. And I, I mean, I'm not sure. I don't know if you actually connect a Battle.net account on the console, so I don't you even do. know. You do. Okay. So well, you- let me take that, take that back. I think you can. Because I guess my curiosity is, can you, if you have a PC, can you get the, the officer skin and it shows up on console? Yeah, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Hey, Zell, let me ask. Did you just check your, did you just check console? I, I know there, I know you can see the skins in on PS4. I honestly haven't. You can see them. You them. could see them on PC too. No, but my question is, are you sure that you can't get them in one of the loot boxes? Because I thought that the Diva Police skin was actually part of the uh, the Uprising event or associated with no, that. No, it's not part okay. of the Uprising event. It's it's solely... Uh, like, um, if you look in the skins list, um, they put a little icon next to them if they're for yeah, special no, okay, events. Yeah. And there's an Uprising event next to the other the Uprising items, but um, it's got like a, B, like a Battle.net icon um for the officer um and that indicates like it's a promotional thing uh they throw that in front of like uh the skins you get if you buy the origins edition and some of that sort of stuff got you all righty so yeah that that skin is obviously um, coming up in the the next event here now one thing that we we normally don't do and we'll we'll try to kind of keep it you know, uh, reasonable here, but there has been a, been a bit of a controversy regarding uh, the police officer skin for Diva. Um, in that, um, and if you haven't seen it, it, it's basically like a you know baby blue officer uniform, kind of what you would expect. And then the the robot she normally pilots uh, gets some police lights on it. It's painted like a police car, so you know it, it's it's cute. Um, but there's been a lot of a lot, a lot, but there's been some controversy regarding. Um, People feeling that the addition of this, um, her being a combat-based character now wearing a police uniform, is uh, insensitive to a lot of the issues that you know we've been seeing in the United States regarding police brutality or Black Lives Matter specifically has kind of been brought up, uh, and so it's it's kind of causing a bit of a fuss. And I just kind of want to get kind of like a roundtable here. What are your guys' thoughts on it? Do you think that this skin is insensitive? Do you think people are overreacting, or do you think it actually is something that is offensive and uh, wasn't very well planned out? on Blizzard's um, side. So the concern is specifically that it's a, a kind of combat-oriented character that is receiving this skin. That's, a, that's wearing a police uniform and that it's, it's reminiscent of um, kind of militarized police forces um, causing issues. Uh, I mean, yeah, but I feel like I'm like cowboys or something you could take sure that there are there are current issues surrounding it but there's no other way to emplace something like that into that game right like 
that would be my concern with, with taking offense to that. It, it seems like most of the characters can be taken to be offense-oriented in some way. Did something like that in, in our Skype channel the other day. If I recall, they've already offended the heck out of, um, I think it's Hinduism? Because uh, one of the uh, Symmetra skins is uh, named after a, a, a god in, in, I think, Hinduism. I think it's Hinduism. That might be yeah, a bit more serious yeah. than... Actually, I, I doubt it. I mean, this is... And we didn't take that away either. I mean, I don't, I don't have the cultural background in terms of, like, Hinduism. I'm saying that I've... It's, it would, it would, it's more it would like quite literally it would quite literally be like a character with a thunderbolt and a, an olive wreathed hair called Zeus. It, like it it's it is a be, it is literally a being from like Indian mythology. Now you you can call it one of the gods or not, which most of the things in mythology in some way tie back to that. But reference, you know, putting on a blue police uniform and in like a panda stripe like mech with some whoop poop lights on it. If people are truly upset about this, there is absolutely nothing you're going to do for them. There is not a thing that you're going to be able to do. You're going to say to those snowflakes that will in any way, shape or form, make them feel better about anything. And I I just pray that I am one day in an HR department that gets to interview people like this coming to, you know, try to get a job at some place where they actually need to, I don't know, produce some shit. Yeah, I mean, kind of in, in the, the front of the Hindu thing, if using or referencing someone's name from a religion is offensive, then every Final Fantasy game ever is horrifically offensive, because that's the whole damn game is references to other things. Um, and kind of like they said, we were kind of joking about it in the Skype channel, and it's like, you can, and even Leith kind of touched on it, you can basically take almost any subject and find some way to be offended about it through some massive leap of, of um, thought process. I mean, granted, there are things that are probably legitimately offensive and, and are inappropriate, but there's kind of a, a, a measure of scale here. And, and, you know, is a little Korean girl wearing a police uniform bouncing around in her, like, like Jason said, um, her panda mech, is that really offensive? I, I really think that's that's quite well, a stretch. There. And, and You're trying real hard. Here's the other interesting thing about this: is this is a great this is a great example of how people tend to look at things through a very self-centered lens. Uh, there's a difference between selfish and self-centered. Most Americans are quite self-centered. I would offer this to you if you actually look at them. I've got a picture of her up right now. If you actually look at the mech skin, there's not a, there's it is a South it's like South Korean police. It's literally. It's literally Korean police. If if you've ever been to, to Korea, there's like more cops than you can shake a stick at, and they all dress exactly like the girl in, in the video, or the, the you know the character. I mean, exactly. Uh, so I I just I, I think it's kind of one of those things where I like you're there's so if somebody's really going to be upset about this, if there's like the point one zero zero one percent that's going to be upset about it. And, and the fact that we're talking about it is really because they have a way to put it on the internet that in theory can leak out to, you know, a mass market audience. Uh, I like, I got nothing for you, man. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think it's, it's worthwhile to understand whatever that perspective is. And it is a topical issue. However, I just, like I said at the beginning, I don't see, I don't see any alternative, uh, way to put anything police related into a game like yeah. overwatch but i mean it's it's topical in the united states and this is an international game that is up to uh actually just clocked 30 million players well i mean it's made by a, a u.s company though they're it 
it's like I understand the the viewpoint. It's just I don't I don't see how you can interpret how you can interpret too much like subconscious or unintentional symbology out of it because there if you had an alternative way if your game had had you know some perspective where we're not every almost every character was literally shooting people let me put this way if if people are going to get upset by this leather then where were they at when rainbow six was out that 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 game is quite literally about like police officers. Oh, no, no. You realize no, see, that, right? No, no, See, Rainbow <laughs> Six is okay because you're shooting bad guys. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and, and half the characters in, in Overwatch are bad guys. But my whole my point whole is point. It, they, they, they picked pick this, this one game to get upset, upset about. Like, I'm, all, I'm on board for understanding how different people look at these problems. But the reality is you picked this one game, one game, out of all of the ones that depict uh, police officers in a militarized manner or in a hyper-violent sense. Uh, who knows? But I guarantee you, shit, probably a third of the protagonists in any in in video game industry are cops of some kind. And by God, all the little snowflakes running around there screaming about this sure as hell played the shit out of those games. But somehow this one this one like struck their fancy. Well, I mean, it's not the first time that Overwatch has been kind of the focus of this sort of um, backlash from people being upset about particular characters being portrayed in, in certain ways. I mean, there was. You know, when when they released a little thing about Tracer being, um, you know, gay, people lost their shit over it in both directions. And it's like, guys, come on, <laughs> it's it's a freaking video game. Like, are we really going to get this upset about it? See, and I think that that may be part of it because you know, Overwatch is this this game that likes to tout, oh my god, my diversity uh, and and inclusivity. And I wonder if if that somehow has had an effect on on the fans, right? So anything that that uh, that Blizzard does to Overwatch, you know, demands or is some sort of uh, social, I don't want to say social commentary, but uh, shit, what's the word? I don't know, some some kind of social uh, statement. Yeah, some kind of social statement, I guess, that demands a response. I mean, I there are, that makes sense. It, it's a big game, they're a big company, and it's, you know, it it's in the public consciousness for a certain age group, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think that maybe gets to something of an answer about what Jay was talking about earlier. about earlier. You know, why don't you hear anything about Rainbow Six? Well, may like like is not people just didn't pay as much attention to Rainbow Six, right? Because it wasn't as big of a game. I I think that it just has to go hand in hand with the fact that people nowadays in this century, in this time are too deeply involved in the entertainment industry period to the extent that they're constantly finding something that's mirroring some type of um whether it's religion or politics or some some type of whatever yeah you might be you might be on to something i mean that that is definitely the the opiate of the masses at this point to kind of you know pull that phrase apart a little bit. Uh, the only thing I would offer is like, you know, my old, my old guy, get off my lawn kind of attitude aside is I, I'm absolutely okay. If somebody has an opinion like this, that's, you know, I may disagree with it quite a bit, but I have zero problem with somebody having the opinion. And in fact, voicing it, what the only thing I ask for is be consistent. So if the take is against 
uh, these type of depictions in this one game, then have that same that same intellectual honesty and apply that across whatever medium that you're choosing. Uh, specifically in this term, you know, video games or digital content. So I think that's that that would be my closing statement on it. Is you you feel free to have your opinion. We can disagree on it. I, I suspect I can I can lay out a pretty logical case where where some of it may be a bit misfounded, at least in this one game. And I can probably pull you better examples that you should be more concerned about if this is really bothering you. Uh, but then have the have the honesty and at least the the consistency to. Uh, take this tact with multiple different products. To be fair to people, like uh, a, a lot of in in this particular case, I don't. Again, I I don't think I I'm particularly supportive of being offended or reading too much into uh, the the specific case of Overwatch. But it's possible people are are more likely to comment because it has been included in a game that otherwise didn't include any depictions of this type. Whereas if you talk about a Rainbow Six, if you ask someone about Rainbow Six, maybe they, they would say, I don't like that, but they never played the game because they don't like it. Well, here's the interesting thing. If you actually like read anything, like literally, if you like just listen to the opening, like, like three minute reel on, uh, on the game, Overwatch is actually a police force. It's literally the whole group is actually a group of cops. Like quite literally, <laughs> space police. Those uh, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and she's she's a space police with a mech. Exactly. Right. I mean, I'm not. I, I'm not necessarily defending the saying that I'm supportive of the the idea of being offended over it. I'm just saying that this at least would tell you why you don't see it. People, you know, large outcries over these other types of games. Counter Strike, I, I guess, is yeah, another I'm, example. I'm huge. I'm, no, trust me, I'm with you, man. <laughs> Our society that? anymore, we just really don't have a thick skin, and many people are just childish because the fact of the matter is, it's just like if you mirrored it, for example, like let's use the analogy of uh, languages, right? So in one language, like one word can mean one thing, but all around the world in different languages, that same word can be applied and mean something completely different. And everybody wants to try to take ownership over there, hey, this is my name, this is my brand, this is my image, this is whatever it is. And they're trying to apply it onto everybody else and force opinions and their beliefs on everybody else. Well, with Overwatch, um, just because it's the same sort of symbol doesn't mean that anyone is demeaning someone else's religion or trying to be offensive or smart. It's just what they wanted to use and what felt right for that, you know, that game or that character. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot of a lot of different viewpoints on this one, and, and you know I, I'd actually like to get um, the listeners if you want to kind of voice your opinion on what you think in the comments on the website, we'd, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. But uh, probably going to move along from this one. Uh, but yeah, good good discussion. So another thing that I kind of wanted to cover um, real quick, um, if you're a fan of Final Fantasy XIV, um, I'm not going to go into all the details about the Stormblood uh, expansion. We've done that. But if you haven't heard, the uh, benchmark for PC players is available. So if you want to uh, get on there, download the benchmark, you can kind of see some, uh, some some of the stuff you'll be experiencing in the game with the expansion coming out in June um, and also kind of see how well your computer will actually be able to handle it. Uh, I, I do encourage you to go in and download that and check it out. Uh, we will get a link in the description for the video and uh, recording so you can take a look at it and, and try it for yourself. Now, <clears throat> moving along, I know that, Jay, you, you actually kind of gave your thoughts on uh, Mass Effect Andromeda a few weeks ago, and it seems like you've kind of been playing it a bit more and kind of, you know, 
formulating some of your thoughts on it. Did you kind of want to go back into that and explain, you know, your, your final thoughts on that? Uh, sure. So basically, uh, when we do game reviews on the show, a lot of times what we do is we, we get kind of give you a first glance. Rarely do we really get to go through the entirety of a game by the time we're actually giving you guys like a formal review on the show, particularly in some of the games that are like noticeably larger in terms of their scale for content. Mass Effect is it's kind of generally in that category, as you can imagine. So when we when we first did the did our review, that was based on probably 12 to 15 hours of gameplay. So pretty solid look. Um, since then, uh, since that show, probably, I guess, three weeks ago, uh, I've actually completed the entire main storyline and all of the side quests. So it's 100% complete now. Um, no, I take that back. It's like 95% complete. I literally just didn't finish a couple of the Go Fetch It quests. So... I I did go back, take kind of take stock of my original thoughts, which uh, to remind everybody, I gave it about an eight out of ten. Had some noticeable challenges with it in terms of uh, its inability to kind of hook you from an immersion standpoint, mostly due to a lot of really really amateurish mistakes in terms of animation. Um, a lot of the challenges that they had with literally just getting the interactions correct in between the, the people and then some odd just background, you know, video glitches and stuff like that. And then we kind of t- tease that out and kind of, there's a, there's a lot of backstory on why that went, went on. Uh, you know, the, the long and the short of that really comes down to a, uh, a, a subcontractor basically. And what they did did not really jiving very well into the Bioware product nor actually adhering to the normal standards that Bioware has. So there's a little bit of that. And then there's some really, really super vanilla aspects to the game that were a little surprising based on uh, you know, Bioware's track record and Mass Effect. So all that aside, the game was actually, was actually play, very, very playable in that the, uh, the combat system was pretty solid. You know, definitely an upgrade from the old Mass Effect ones. It's, it's nowhere near as Destiny-like as they would lead you to believe in the tra- in the uh, the trailers and the, and the footage, uh, you know, kind of the the hype footage that they were putting out. Uh, but there were some noticeable upgrades in a few areas, and it was um, a bit a bit difficult to weed through the UI on on occasion. So, all that being aside, those opinions didn't really change much. Uh, they they kind of from a technical aspect, they kind of were where they were. But once I had gotten through that point, so about the time I finished the the review, you you kind of desensitize yourself to those things. Um, and you really just start kind of playing it to play it, really enjoying the, you know, kind of the, the story. So the main storyline, I, I give it a C plus, B minus at best. It's basically the exact same storyline from the first two Mass Effect, uh, just different name of the bad guys, different, different skins on the puppets. Um, the side quests for the companions, though, were extremely well done. Like, really, really good. They they vary from, um, uh, you know, kind of over-the-top B-movie, you know, action, you know, buddy cop t- style to a much more emotional kind of hooking story. So they had a lot of neat storylines that were running back and forth in the uh, in the companion quest. So I definitely have to, have to kind of go back and take a look at it. I gave it about a, an 8.3 this time, so a slight uptick. All the technical issues we discussed are still the same, but the strength of the, char- the character storylines are actually pretty good. The main storyline definitely was lacking. So this actually kind of led me to do a little bit of research and kind of and some thinking. And um, the best guess that I have right now is that Bioware is probably hedging their bet. They weren't really 
I think they knew what they had on their hands before it went out, obviously. So they've not really talked a lot about a Mass Effect Andromeda Part 2 or like a continuation of this one. Although the ending very clearly alluded to a lot of the missing components um, that, that we kind of mentioned in terms of some of the different aliens, some of the different different political overtones that you get to it. A lot of that is actually cleared up towards the very, very end of the main storyline. And it's clearly hinted at that many of the things that you saw in Mass Effect 3 that were not present in these are looming. Uh, and Bioware's actually come out and said that, uh, you, you know, while they nobody's mentioned or, or publicly noted that there is a Andromeda 2, Every all of your choices in the storyline are very easy to track, similar to how they they were in the first two Mass Effect uh, games. So, right now, I think they're truly trying to hedge their bet a little bit, and they're really trying to decide whether they're gonna they're gonna create something like a follow up that will come on with Andromeda. And interestingly enough, there were some of the they were more side story, but they were definitely related to the main uh, the, the kind of the main storyline that actually did really frame some of the things that were happening in, uh, in mass effect one, really. So it's pretty cool. So I, I would say once you get, get into the more deeper content, uh, slight upgrade because of that technical issues still need to get fixed. So mild upgrade, but it's, it's definitely worth a look. And I think if you're a fan of that, that kind of story world or that IP, I, I would recommend you check it out. So can I ask you a question? One of the the interesting transitions that they had off of the original trilogy, and they mentioned this, and I I thought it was interesting. I I still watch a bunch of video games, so I watch some people play through Mass Effect uh, Andromeda. And I'm interested to to hear someone who played through it, what their thoughts are on not having, not feeling like you're running through multiple games that are trying to tell you that you're saving the world every three seconds. Is that an improvement um, or not? It, well, it's it is definitely a very very different story. Uh, now, the interesting thing about this one is it, very much in line with what you said. Like you do get a little bit of the like you you know you're not like humanity's like last best hope, but part of part of the storyline is actually finding the other the other uh, you know the, your your character's called the Pathfinder. That's like his job title slash you know whatever you know what it is he that he does. Your job is to actually find the other ones that that were missing as well. Uh, so over the course of the over the course of the game, you actually end up collecting other people that are, uh, in theory, at least as capable as the main storyline character. And it, in the final battle, it actually you you could it, it would be really cool from a DLC standpoint if they released like just the final battle from each one of the different uh, like racial pathfinders' uh, point of view. Because they're all in the final battle doing something that allows you to actually get into the into the you know the heart of the stronghold and and win so to speak. So from that aspect, it is kind of cool, but it's a really really different mission set. It's very different than what you were doing in uh, the original Mass Effect. So I kind of liked it. I actually like the idea that you're very much a part of uh, you you're you're more of a piece of the pie as opposed to. Uh, you know, like I said, you know, kind of the last best hope guy. Yeah, I mean, I got, I, I played through a, a couple of the first three, and it got kind of tiring after a while, like, because it was so unrealistic, right? Like, yeah. You were the chosen one. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, well, the, the interesting thing is uh, this one, there's very much, like, every capability that you have, there are other people that have them. Like, every, like, every, there, there's nothing... 
there's li literally only one thing that you can do in theory in the game world that is truly noticeably different than anybody else. That being said, uh, it's very it's this really really narrow thing that actually doesn't impact the gameplay at all. It's really just from a story standpoint. It's how you relate to to the AI that was uh, that was built for the mission. You know, built built for your your uh, your mission specifically. And every the, all the other pathfinders have have an AI like it. Yours is just slightly different because it was one of the it was kind of custom built for you by your father, who was kind of the head of the program. So that being said, it's kind of cool from that aspect. And the the mission set itself is is pretty interesting in that you're it, it's truly more about like trying to figure out how to terraform, make alliances, stuff like that. There's still plenty of shooting and you know busting up pirates and and zapping aliens and stuff like that, but. It's it's not that bad, and then ultimately, the the game clearly alludes to to some things that are way bigger than anything else going on in the game, uh, like the the alien species in there, the remnant that you really have no idea who these people are or what they do, but it's heavily alluded to that they're going to be coming back. So again, it clearly leads you down to down the road to a next to another game. But these aliens aren't they're not necessarily bad. Uh, they're not they're not really sure if they're good. They just kind of are. Uh, so it's kind of I, I liked it. I, I thought it was a a neat um, parallel sort sort of uh, environment as opposed to the original Milky Way Galaxy Mass Effect. Well, that's a pretty good pretty good wrap up. I appreciate your thoughts on that because it's you know it obviously a lot has been kind of going on with the development of this game you know pre and post launch. So it's kind of good to get a an insider look at someone who's actually been playing quite a bit of it. So I do appreciate that. Sure. Um, now, another thing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pester you about, you, you did mention that there's a lot of uh, MMOs that are actually available on PS4 right now. Have you been kind of playing around with some of those? Yeah, I sure have. So um, one of the things that I kind of started doing was trolling a lot of the, the PS. This is PS4 specifically, by the way. Uh, I do not own an Xbox. We leave that to other people on the show. But at least as far as uh, the PS4 community goes, there's a... Uh, I think a surprisingly large number of free-to-play MMO-style games uh, that are out there on on PlayStation Four. So I've been kind of doing the you know the almost the Steam bundle approach. Like I'll I'll grab them off of PS Plus or just straight up buy a couple of them. And I've noticed a couple things. One, there's an a, a a whole lot more than you might think. If you just start doing some browsing in the PS Four store, you're going to find something that like trips the style the style of gameplay or at least the the campaign world that you like be that fantasy science fiction you know whatever you're going to find some genre that will actually attract you there's there's about that many and i was actually kind of surprised at how many relatively big name ips have some form of an mmorpg and, and mostly free to play uh, on ps4 so star trek's got one uh, Dungeons and Dragons has like I think two, maybe three of them. Uh, yeah, three definitely. And you get like uh, I thought they had a Star Wars one at one time. I'm not sure. Uh, they, they that one may not have actually made it over to console before it died. Then you've got uh, Marvel's got a huge one coming out here, like like any minute now. I think it's in beta right now, but it's it's pretty large. It's like a third person, almost like action, you know, action style. Uh, beat 'em up game, almost like a gauntlet style game. DC Online's been around for a while. 
there's a lot of these games that are out there and I was just really surprised at it. So I started kind of, like I said, kind of perusing quite a few of them and broadly the quality runs between like C plus to B plus. That's roughly with the band that they operate in. And they very much are tailored to the fan audience that is attracted to whatever, whatever that the, the niche of that MMO is. And or at least the, you know, the IP is so, from that aspect, they've got some offerings, like I said, for about everybody. The gameplay, like I said, C plus to B plus. Some of the stories, and if you're actually one of those guys that actually do, reads the walls of text and stuff like I do, um, some of them are actually really good. They're they're quite good. Uh, the individual player story player modes are usually pretty good. Usually they break down a little bit when they get into PvP. The PvE stuff, like the co-op PvE, all tends to be moderately well done. But the uh, the PvP is definitely spotty, depending on whatever the mechanic is. And many of them use very similar models. Uh, you know, generally a third person uh, third person aspect, uh, action adventure style uh, breakdown in terms of what what you're doing and what it looks like when you're going around. I, I am playing a couple of isometric games that are a little bit different, but uh, again. again probably worthwhile just checking it out because you if you're into kind of the mmo rpgs you will likely find something that you you will want to dive in on even if you catch it on a ps4 or the ps plus sale might be worth your time to check it out but again i was just really shocked over the last week and a half just messing around with it, how many are out there yeah it's it's kind of interesting to see a lot of these pop up i mean for a while it was kind of a you know, a dead zone, and then you you see a lot of these. A lot of them are ports, you know, from from PC games coming over to PS4, and and probably a couple on Xbox as well. Um, I, and it is always interesting to kind of poke around the store and see what what has moved over. Yeah, I would I would offer that my my luck right now of finding a game on Steam for you know like a you know the the ten dollar game on Steam or the five dollar game on Steam that looks like somebody whipped up over you know over the course of a year in their house. And then finding that exact same on PS4 is pretty high. That like that that I was very surprised by that. If you do a cross reference between what's on Steam and what's on on PS4 in terms of the porting, what that really does is it tells you how how subtly the market is is continued to merge between console and PC in terms of you know what the games are. And I truly think you know we're on the cusp of really seeing actual cross console gaming. Uh, at least between PC and consoles, mostly because it absolutely can be done now. It's really just a it's just a matter of want to, and then how do they work the the legal pieces associated with the the financials of it? Yeah, I think that you're seeing that they're they're recognizing that you know limiting your market to a single platform is is just not feasible, especially as the cost of games go up, and especially as you see you know small startups like you said, some guy that you know produces it maybe with a couple friends over the course of a year and, and pushes it out. Um, if you really want to kind of be successful and try to force your way into that market, you, you really have to expand your, your player base as much as possible. So, you know, moving into the, the cross class is, is pretty, or so the, the cross platform is pretty, um, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think the, the market is definitely reacting and, and going that direction. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's, uh, most of these games are, are, are ones you can find on, uh, on PC in some way. Um, now, depending on how salty the audience is, like uh, it, it, many of them start on PC and then they port over to, to console at some point. That's generally how it works. And if you, and like anything, it's very reminiscent of what we saw several years ago with with the Eve crowd referenced us. There's a lot of like 
you know, you're going to stop, you're going to stop playing with the PC people and you're going to put all your money into the console people and our game's going to suffer and, you know, X, Y, and Z. It, you, you, you catch it all over the place. And, and the interesting thing is that the games that really make these big leaps, you know, between PC and console, they just, the better the game is, the more bulletproof they are, no matter what console they go to. Um, I, you know, I would reference World of Tanks as being probably one of the best best examples of that. Uh, it started out on PC with a you know, very exclusive market there, probably you know one of the largest you know player counts consistently you know in the world uh, for the last several years, and it made a really really good conversion over to, over to console. And they had a lot of infrastructure there to back it up, particularly in terms of esports, and they put real money into it, and it's a thing. Uh, so when some, when you see some of these kind of big MMO style games, like Star Trek online is a good one. I, I don't really know what its business model or what it's like, you get a gauge of, of, uh, how well it's doing on PS4, but it has a, a loyal fan base, I think in the, in the PC world, I think, I think Zell would tell you that it's not that great of a game. Again, I, I remind people, I, I noted all of these are in the C plus to B plus category. It's, it's very vanilla. Uh, but it's uh you know it definitely opens up to a certain market and i think as long as people are are cashing in money on them they're going to keep buying them because there's a there's a denny fleet foot for everybody out there as far as i can tell pretty much yeah i mean it's it's you know you, you really do see a, a wide a wide range of quality kind of coming through um world of tanks is obviously kind of the the upper end of, of things that, that port quite well and they've been really well optimized they've clearly put a lot of time and, and effort into making sure it runs really well and then you've got games like seven days to die which admittedly is already rough to begin with but it's it's ps4 port is really bad um <laughs> the pc version is much much better but you, you you still see it doing quite well on ps4 so you know the, the markets are kind of blending like that and you, you do have a, a wide range of quality so it is worth to kind of get out there and and give you know, these kinds of games a shot um, especially since you do see a lot of them on sale or on ps plus or your xbox gold uh as freebies um it's definitely worth your time to check it out all right so moving along there <laughs> this is this is a topic that kind of came by request um, Janik actually kind of brought it to our attention initially. So, so I'm going to kind of hand it over to Bate, but I, I kind of looked up on, on what's going on with it too. Uh, Bate, do you want to tell us about EVE Online and what's going on with uh, World War Weeb? Yeah, so so as is the nature of EVE Online, somebody got pissed off at somebody and started a war. Well, it just so happens this war is over tentacle porn, over some anime. Uh, I guess what happened was it started on uh, a Discord server for the uh, was it the Waffles Alliance? And you know, if you're in a Discord channel, then you know people post memes nonstop, right? These guys were posting anime, uh, anime memes and pictures and whatnot. Well, the CEO of the Alliance or uh, was it Reza? Reza, yeah. Uh, kind of got annoyed with it. And so what, what they did was they just they stopped. They said no more, uh, no more anime in main chat. Uh, and people were upset about this because I guess there were a lot of, a lot of weebs in, in that Alliance. And, you know, I, Reza was not aware of this. So instantly, you know, the community was divided among, you know, those who liked the weebs and, or the, the anime and, and those who, who didn't. Uh, it's divided up into two teams, we'll get to that later. Um, so, this argument was, uh, you know, sprung out uh, 
during the uh, uh, is a Crossing Zebras podcast um, between Reza and a fellow of CVA Alliance called Jintan. Uh, and so Reza invades space held by CVA. And so, and then Reza immediately puts a bounty out on Jintan. So the deal is that if you can kill and collect the corpse of Jintan, ten corpses, ten, time, ten corpses, kill him ten times, get ten corpses, then the ban on the anime is lifted. However, if you get twenty kills, the twenty corpses of Jintan, the ban remains in place. So now we have two teams: hashtag Team Ten and hashtag Team Twenty. Uh, you know, going, you know, all over you, you know, even if you're not in it, somebody has an opinion uh, about an EVE Online war, and so this obviously got picked up on uh, the the EVE subreddit, uh, and then eventually made its way into uh, PC Gamer uh, via the great and lovely Steve Messner, who uh, wrote an article about Jadik a couple of months ago. So that's where we stand in EVE. Space nerds are fighting over tentacle porn. Is the TLDR for that? Oh my god, that is so ridiculous! And if, if anyone's wondering what a weeb is, uh, a weeb is short for weeaboo. And if you know what a waifu is, you're, you're probably a weeb. So, uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, it was it was just it was so stupid that I, I we had to bring it up that like Bates said, you've got Eve players all over um, fighting over tentacle porn. It's it's always something petty. I mean, one of the big ones was like uh, someone made a comment about someone else's girlfriend at FanFest, and there you go. There was a war. That's, fucking, a, dude, that's fucking serious shit, dude. You don't talk about it with a girl. <laughs> Wait, what however, however, I can dish your tentacle porn all day long and judge you silently in my head. <laughs> It's just like, it's always something small and it turns into like, you know, it's one of those things that can never, you know, the game isn't fun if it sits still for too long. So people, people look to increasingly dumber reasons to go to war. Well, well, I will say, sorry. No, no, go ahead. So I will say, cause I, I am into anime and I was like a part of anime empire with dust and all that great stuff. But a lot of people in the anime community just take it way too far, <laughs> especially with the memes and and just the different uh, con you know context of what they're talking about and all that different stuff. A lot of it just gets taken way too far. So I can kind of understand, you know, what what's going on there. But the whole thing just sounds ridiculous. What's Eve? So the whole thing kind of is ridiculous, but. So what I'm getting is that someone's funding an internet war to figure out if anime was a mistake or not. (laughs) (laughs) Anime did nothing wrong. (laughs) So just just for anybody listening out there that uh, that's wondering why we're going on about this. I mean, this is very much in, you know, an intramural scrimmage inside of one, one game, uh, Eve Online is like uh, is somewhat unique in terms of the fervor that is associated with it. Uh, it's kind of, it's not quite your standard clan or guild war you might find in a lot of the other big MMOs that are floating floating out there. Mostly due to the real life money that is net, that is involved in it. Uh, so that that is what what I I'm just silently chuckling as I listen to all of this about. There's real people losing real money, like real money. <laughs> Over uh, 
over this. And uh, I, as I'm just sitting here having a good giggle about it. That's actually good. It's something I'm going to kind of add in here that I, I forgot to mention before in the show notes that uh, there are some changes coming to Plex in EVE. And Plex is, um, as Jay pointed out, the real world money where you can actually purchase this item called a Plex. Uh, and then you are allowed to sell it to other players in the game for real world currency, or sorry, for in game currency. And that Plex can be used uh, to extend the. Um, the duration of their, their sub-account for 30 days. So it basically allows you to, if you produce enough ISK in-game or enough assets, you can trade it for in-game, or trade it for this Plex, which allows you to, to basically play EVE um, as an Omega clone for free. Uh, and so one change that's actually coming is they're actually kind of making Plex more granular. And it, it, honestly, it behaves basically exactly like Orem does, um, where it's a smaller amount. Uh, 500 Plex is equal to one old Plex when this change goes into effect. So if you have a Plex, and you're, you're thinking it'll be converted into 500 Plex. And their, their, their point for this is that they wanted to kind of make that option of... Uh, converting that real-world money to in-game currency uh, a little more granular so you aren't dropping, you know, a billion ISK on a, on a Plex or whatever it goes for right now. You can actually trade smaller amounts for smaller things in-game um, to kind of further that that ability to, again, you can spend money to effectively buy stuff from other people in-game. Um, so that, that's kind of an interesting thing. Um, they've got a whole pricing scheme, which is stupid, but, you know, the more you buy, the more, quote-unquote, free Plex you get. Uh, basically, you just get a better ratio of, of Plex to money uh, the more you buy. I think there's actually like a 500 euro um, version that you can get. Uh, totally insane. But uh, that is that is something that, that did pop up uh, that I saw. It's coming in, um, I think, May. I think that's dropping for EVE Online. They're, they're kind of converting to this new, uh, more granular version of Plex. All right. So, yeah, that, that's that's what we have on EVE Online for, for the anime war. Um, we'll... Keep you posted. Anything interesting actually pops up, but we'll we'll see. It it'll probably be mostly just a lot of memes and and stupid shit happening. So we'll we'll see how that pans out. Um, but moving along, uh, so there's some Project Nova stuff. So we actually um had, did talk to CCP Rotati a little bit. Um, he was kind of chatting around in the Discord channel, and there were a couple of things that I did kind of want to go over that were that were kind of interesting. If you're not uh, a follower of the Discord or happen to miss it, um, so he was kind of in there talking around and um. He was asking players, "Hey, what is your uh, you real, real quick? Yeah. Uh, just just so everybody's tracking, uh, CCP Rattati. That's the that is the uh, nom de guerre, if you will, of one of the lead developers or one of the primary uh, developers over in CCP Studios. Uh, so, as many game you know game developers go, they have like sort of their online handles, uh, you know, CCP whatever. And uh, the guy in question, he's Actually, pretty good guy. His uh, his internet name is uh, CCP Rattati, and he's the guy that actually uh, sort of shepherded the the uh, resuscitation efforts and the eventual shutdown of Dust Five One Four, the PS3 game that was associated uh, you know, roughly with the Eve Online universe a couple of years ago. It's the podcast, not like I guess we, a, we have this theory. We've grown up now. It's, it's, it's been a have, while. We have this theory that there are people who listen to the show who who don't play Dust. We don't we don't actually know if it's true. Oh hell, space Jesus! Yeah, I mean it, it's honestly we we don't mention Dust or Nova too much. Uh, it just kind of started popping up post Fan Fest because there was some actual information that's been kind of leaking out. So uh, it's been a while. So um, thanks Jay for that that clarification. I, I kind of forget sometimes that we do have people that may not actually know who who Ritati and CCP are. But uh, yeah, so that being said, uh, so CCP Ritati. 
uh, lead developer for um, for Project Nova, which is you know the FPS that's the spiritual successor to Dust, did get on to the uh, Dust Veteran Discord channel, and he was asking people, um, "Hey, what are your favorite NPC corporations in Eve, and why?" Uh, and the reason he was asking is that basically in Dust, the weapons were were clear you know focus this is like an amar gun this is a kaldari gun this is a mimitar drop suit uh it was very very focused around um the four empires in the game and you had sometimes you know corporation names attached to it which were npc corporations in that particular empire uh but it didn't really have any meaning it was very inconsistent it was more there just kind of as a flavor text and what he says that they're trying to do is that since you tend to interact with corporations, NPC corporations, directly in New Eden, um, kind of EVE Online, uh, Nova Universe, that they want to kind of make that the weapons and the gear and the equipment and, and everything more focused around um, the corporations rather than the empires. And so what this means is that they're not necessarily going to make, as you quote, four of each. So you, you're not going to necessarily see four different shotguns where you've got a Mar shotgun, a Caldara shotgun, a Galante shotgun, an Inventar shotgun. It, it, it's not going to work that way. Instead, it's going to be based more around the idea of the corporation, the, the manufacturer of these goods, has kind of a theme that they're built around, right? And, of course, they, they draw from, you know, their their parent empire. So, I mean, you've got Boundless Creation. It's it's going to produce Mimitar-style guns, but um, Boundless Creation may only make certain types of drop suits. Like, it may only make, you know, a scout suit and an assault suit. And it may only make, you know, assault rifles and sniper rifles and heavy machine guns. And so, you've got kind of the roles are dictated more by um, the corporation that that particular piece of equipment is coming from. So if you play a Sentinel, and this is just an example he gave, it, it may not actually be what it's like in the, in the final game, but he said, so the Sentinel may be Calciota and the Vanguard may be Concord. And that would obviously be kind of the, the two different heavy classes. So you may have a drop suit that is only produced by a particular corporation. Um, and so you kind of can see once, like much like the M16 is a factory setting, the Navy SEALs have kind of a custom version of the M16. And so that could be like the Carthum M16. Um, it's the same chassis, different decals and skin. So it's the same model, right? But uh, your, you know, boundless combat assault rifle, or your, your yeah, boundless, boundless combat rifle may have um, a certain feel to it. it, may have like a higher fire rate and smaller magazine or something like that opposed to um, another Mimitar-based um, corporation producing, again, a combat rifle, but it's going to kind of have its own flavor of, um, you know, stats. It may have, you know, instead more damage and a lower fire rate. So it's the same kind of base weapon, but what you get is that you kind of know, if I buy a Boundless gun, it's going to have this kind of theme based on all the guns in that. And I actually kind of asked them, so it's kind of like, Borderlands 2, and if you've played Borderlands 2, you know that the gun manufacturers in Borderlands 2 um, kind of have a very set theme. So, like, Jacob's weapons are, you know, low magazine, um, very, very high bullet damage, and they only make a certain kind of, of weapon. Um, and, like, the, the Hyperion weapons, again, they kind of have this special effect where they become more stable the longer you fire them. And, and those effects might be um, a bit more wild than what we'll see in Nova, but he, he did say that, that is kind of what it's like, where if you pick up a certain corporation's gun or drop suit, you know it's going to perform in a certain kind of way. Um, they may not make every possible weapon. They may not make a shotgun. They may not make a heavy machine gun. 
but for the weapons that they do make, it is going to follow uh, a certain theme based around that corporation's doctrine, which is also kind of borrowed from that particular um, empire that they're based off of. So just kind of for those of you who have played Dust and are interested in playing Nova, what are your thoughts on this? Do you kind of like that kind of system? Do you think that's going to be good? I just have a, a key question. Is uh, You've mentioned Boundless quite a bit. Um, will, will will boundless be in the game and will we be able to have like a, like a officer grade, like a boundless optimism? I, I sure as hell hope so. <laughs> I, 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 um, I always laugh about that, but I would love to have like a, a boundless optimism, heavy machine gun that shoots confetti and does no damage because it's not very effective, but it's still really fun to fire around sometimes. So I, I think the key game design point, it's, it sounds like a, a fusion of kind of like an actual game design uh, choice and then flavor text right and i i think that both of them are positive i think the key thing is is this comment that they quote unquote don't want to do four of each um and that is very positive right um i i guess i kind of expected that they wouldn't do that again but it's it's good to hear that they're not it for those of you who you know didn't play dust uh in many cases they're four npc empires in the new eden universe and often each weapon would have a different variant for each empire so you might have a a kind of assault rifle variant for four different empires right that's probably a bad choice because i suspect they'll still have some assault rifle equivalents of at least four different types but um the idea that they don't feel the need to uh to make too many variants of any given thing i think is positive and and the flavor text writes itself so that's also a very good uh perspective well and i think it's also good that you're consistent with the the nomenclature of how you're naming things so you know if you're going to call something something that's similar similarly named to something else it, it helps i think from a you know a player experience that you know that those things are are similar in some way and that it's, it's consistent and we definitely lacked consistency um in dust which you know it, it was a bit of a problem i think it was confusing for a lot of players so i think that's definitely a positive um and and, and you did mention the, 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 the not doing for everything and this is actually kind of a point that some people have kind of um been a bit split on and i, I kind of understand why that they you know, they may be a role player and they may really like a Mar and they really want to be a short range shotgunner guy. And the Mar may not make a shotgun, that just may not be in the game. And they're they're understandably upset that they can't kind of have that role play aspect of it and, and use this the theme of weapon they want because it just may not exist. Um I'm actually kind of in the opinion of, of where you were at where I I never really expected them to. Um I, I think some core weapons like your assault rifle, your pistol, um, SMG maybe, you know, having those kind of be across all four, fine. You know, those are kind of core weapons, but I never once thought, hey, we're going to have a mass driver for all four races. It just, it, it just didn't seem to make sense to me. Um, I felt like it would be kind of forced almost. So I think that having, you know, specialties almost for, for each each group where it may only exist in, in one or two, you know, maybe three, um, three of the races or three of the you know, corporations that exist in those races is probably pretty reasonable from a design perspective, and it might actually make more sense and kind of add some interesting um, some game and gameplay elements to it. Uh, one thing he did, I forgot to mention, that he did say that they're also looking at if you want to buy a particular weapon from a manufacturer, you might have to build up standing with them. So, 
you know, you're talking like kind of a, a standing system where I'll, I'll use Boundless again because, you know, um, if, if you want to buy a really high tier specialty, you know, Boundless heavy machine gun, uh, you might have to actually kind of build up, you know, loyalty with that corporation and, and actually get enough LP or standing or whatever they decide to go with to actually purchase it. So again, it kind of adds uh, a second layer of progression where you're rewarded for sticking with, you know, a particular group or a particular theme of, of playstyle because the weapons and the gear you'll need are going to be coming from that particular corporation. So I, it's difficult to speculate on that, right? Because it depends on so much sure. other parts of the how they would make the game i it on what i would really and it's it probably won't be like this right they probably wouldn't make it like this but what i would hate is like something overly grindy to uh like on an individual basis if you if you played dust you'll remember fac war um and, and there were aspects of getting different stuff out of fac war that i mean were intentionally in some cases and in a good way grindy you had to grind up points to get things out of the uh, faction of your choosing but then they had interrelationships like if you played for one faction you piss off another and then yada yada and, and that kind of stuff especially that i don't think is a particularly fun system to track yeah i i don't really care for that particular element in eve when i used to play eve um where it was, you, you could not do certain, I did a lot of mission running, um, solo level four mission running, and there were certain missions you just really couldn't do because it would just destroy your standing with another group, and it was like, okay, well, I'll skip that one, um, but if I get another one right after that, I, I can't skip it or I'll, I'll lose standing, you know, it, it just, it wasn't enjoyable. So I think in terms of that level of complexity, um, probably not. Uh, one thing that they could be going for, and again, this is kind of speculation, so I, I don't want to get too too deep into this, but you know, if you have something that's, I don't want to say grindy, but if you're encouraged to stick with maybe a select few um, corporations to kind of you know get that standing up or get that LP or whatever, um, but someone else wants to you know buy them from from this group, but they can't because they lack the standing, it does kind of promote a bit of a player market where those who have you know those particular groups leveled up they can then sell to other players um for a profit you know which which isn't necessarily a bad thing it's just kind of a matter of how it's handled in the details and you know how long it takes to get there and is it actually worthwhile and you don't want to make it too obnoxious with how you actually built the standing so you know we'll have to see on that front but i do think it is an interesting way to go and i i do appreciate the uh consistency that they're approaching with you know kind of how things are designed and set up instead of randomly just kind of throwing flavor text words on weapons and gear and you know yeah it's new eden um because that was kind of counterintuitive and i i think this will actually kind of help quite a bit with um the player experience overall but are you telling me that going through a drop-up link doesn't hurt you no it causes cancer you'll probably die very soon no i mean like <laughs> there's this flavor text about like it about right about it causing cancer and whatever and there was a, for a long time it might have been till the end of the game some flavor text about it like actually hurting you or de- it sounded like it decreased your hp well right? I, oh yeah i thought it was just that it shortens your lifespan but given that you're a, a clone that's gonna die pretty quickly anyways it doesn't matter like it like the sort of thing like it'd be unhealthy to use a drop link if you like valued your body but since your body is just like spare meat that you're you're temporarily inhabiting it doesn't really matter well another good example of that lethal is the uh if you had the toxin smg the flavor text implied that it would actually do a, a lingering damage over time effect after you stopped doing damage to the person because it would 
literally poison them, um, which obviously was never a mechanic, but the flavor text was in there to, to imply, even the title itself, you know, Toxin, um, kind of implied that. So I was like, okay, guys. I mean, there's, there's tons of examples in Dust of things that they obviously were kind of going for and then quickly abandoned and never really kind of rectified a lot of the, the small details that kind of made it in that were going to be based around that, that particular feature. I mean, I'm interested to see how a pared down, essentially the, the game design way to look at this is that they're looking at perhaps paring down some of the variants that were in dust. Right. I mean, uh, presumably making some new ones, et cetera, but. Um, um, well, if you think about it, I, I think, uh, I'm just totally guessing here, but I, I think it's going to be about a kind of a, a push though, because there were a lot of things that didn't have um, like cross empire variants already. And this is just a way of codifying it. But at the end of the day, just general overall thought, and I think you said it earlier, Lether, just having a, des- a, a deliberate design choice for all of this is fine. Uh, that's better than what they started out with. Like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There were, there was, you know, mass drivers were technically only only Mimitar, lasers were technically only MR. So that, I mean, that that kind of was already in the cooked into the game, and it's really just adding some some notations about where they come from, kind of the Borderlands style, which I actually kind of like. It's it's good. Anything that applies consistency is fine, uh, and you can kind of work around around things. Uh, I would I would be more interested in understanding. Oh, you know, let's assume all this goes down in, in the broadest sense, like Ritati described. I'm more interested in understanding, do you get, are there synergy bonuses for any of this? Or is it sort of Call of Duty style, like even Stevens, just use whatever works. And, you know, I can kind of make an argument either way. I'm kind of okay with it. But again, just having a mapped out design is, is uh, I think, I think that's a really good baseline to walk to, to walk into with. Well, and I think it kind of shows his headspace of approaching things in a more planned fashion rather than just doing it like we kind of saw with the original game. So if in any sense, you know, regardless of the details work out, it is encouraging to see that style of thought process being applied, um, which is, you know, I, I think definitely positive. I think we all agree on that. So um, that's that's pretty good stuff. So uh, kind of moving along from that, uh, just a, one quote that I kind of wanted to, to pull that he did happen to mention on the forums, which I think is... Um, Again, kind of adds context to where his headspace is. Uh, he said, Our ambition is not to do a fixed class lobby shooter. It is to learn from Eve and Dust 514 and create a thinking man's shooter that is easy to understand, difficult to master. So, um, you know, for people that are really concerned that this is going to be basically Call of Duty in space again, um, again, I, I don't think that those, those fears are terribly uh, well founded. So, you know, that's just something I kind of want to throw out there that's a direct quote. Um, again, if you're not digging through the forums like we do on a regular basis, you probably would have missed it. So just kind of throwing that one out there. I mean, I would all, what I'll mention briefly, not to open up a huge discussion about it, but I'm, I'm interested to see when they, you know, if, and when they finish this game, how they've improved the, uh, the health and damage type um, stuff that was in dust. I really enjoyed that. I think that was actually one of the best parts of the game, but uh there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of incentive for full teams to go for one damage or health type, and I'd love to see that changed. Yeah, no, I think that's pretty fair. And I mean, he kind of continues on and says, you know, many of the concepts from Dust are alive and in development, and others have been cut. So I, I, I don't think they're afraid of making, um, you know, large changes to make things better and improve on them. And I, I do agree with you that I think the damage type thing was was 
really cool and it, it could have been improved upon. I think that, you know, at one point there was some talk about, you know, maybe bonuses for, you know, sticking with a certain, I won't say fleet doctrine, but like a platoon doctrine per se, um, where you would kind of all benefit from, you know, having a, a, a certain theme based around what you're doing. And, and, you know, and then that can be done through a number of ways. You know, there can be environmental effects. There can be certain equipment, which is area of effect, and you want everyone to match to, to get that, that benefit. Um, so, yeah, it, it will be good to see kind of where they, they take it and, and, you know, what what parts from Dust survive, uh, what were cut, and, and how are things being improved, um, kind of building off of the lessons that they learned from the previous game. So uh, looking forward to that. Uh, so, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. The uh, I I was just kind of thinking, kind of reviewing the memory warehouse on this one a little bit. I I like what Lether kind of brought up there. There's there are many many things that were on the table or experimented with dust, and and everybody like you know the running gag was always that it was you know one of the one of the longest running uh, and most painful betas ever. But uh, if just the fact that they've still got a couple of those core guys from you know, that were actually trying to make a go of the game that, that are part of the design process. Yeah, actually I have a little bit of hope for it. Uh, again, I, I'm uh, you're, I, I assume we're still a couple of years off from ever seeing this thing at, at best by that time, there will be so many games that have come and gone. Um, they're going to have to really, really work very hard to keep up with the, to, to get a foothold anywhere in the market. Uh, and, and the reality is like the Eve numbers just aren't big enough to sustain that. So they've really got to reach outside, outside that community, which means putting real money into it, uh, particularly from an, an advertising standpoint. So I'm, I'm very much rooting for them. I really, I really want those guys to produce something pretty nice and, and it doesn't have to be like the prettiest game in the world, but a really well thought out, uh, you know, tactical shooter. And I like the way Ritai described it, you know, easy to pick up, very difficult to master. Uh, that's very much what we've attributed to things like Overwatch, Roll to Tanks, things like that, that are, are very successful. They can be as deep as you want them to be at face value. So that's that's kind of what I'm hoping for. And like I said, endless theory crafting abounds. Uh, so I'll, I'll be anxious to see what the next news point is going to be on that. Yeah, no, I mean, you raise a really good point that I think that you know, it, it doesn't have to be the most gorgeous game, but it, it needs to kind of be interesting. And I think that, you know, for the most part, we can we can all kind of agree that there's not a lot of uh, experiences out there that give quite the same kind of, at least in concept, um, what Dust was trying to do. And, and like you said, a, a thinking man shooter where it's, you know, um, you can really get super deep into it and really kind of dive into a lot of the, the really fine details and, and gain an advantage through doing that, um, opposed to, you know, a typical lobby shooter where it's pretty much just entirely drop in, shoot some guys, have some fun. You know, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I think if that's the kind of game you like, that's fine. Um, but there's not a lot of thinking man shooters out there right now. So if they can push this thing out, um, advertise it properly, get it done in a reasonable amount of time. Um, I, I think that. Yeah. But I think that if they can deliver on kind of what he's, he's describing, I think that it, it could do well. It's just kind of a matter of how far outside the Eve dust market they can reach. Cause Eve is a very, it's a, it's a big game, but the population isn't nearly as large as, as some other games out there. And, and the Dusk community was, of course, much smaller uh, and, and even smaller now. I mean, a lot of time has passed. People have moved on, which is, you know, it is what it is. Uh, 
but they can't just bank entirely off of what they currently have kind of in that guaranteed market share. So you know, we'll see how they handle it. I, I do I really do legitimately hope they can put something together that's that's really good and actually have to be very successful because there's a lot of issues with dust, but there's also a lot of really, really good um elements and moments that I, I really personally enjoyed and I think a lot of a lot of you guys did as well. So you know, uh, positive thinking on that one, a, a little bit of boundless optimism, but we'll we'll, we'll kind of see. And of course, we will track as much as we can on the various chats and the forums and other other sources to to bring you guys as much uh, news as possible for for those of you who may not be quite as uh, in depth with everything that's going on. So, uh, now that being said, there has been a pretty long going discussion, um, and I know we've talked a bit about it on the show before, but it has cropped up again in uh, the Discord chat, in the, the, the Nova Discord channel for the Dustbets chat. And that is regarding um, game mode size. And there's definitely two very different sides of, of this, this discussion. Um, so as you know, the current plan for, for Nova is that the game will be 16 versus 16. And this actually kind of applies to a lot of different games. It's not just Nova, but that'll probably kind of be our main context for this discussion. Um, so 32 people per fight, that's the same as Dust. Um, so you can kind of expect that's the kind of experience you'll get. Do you guys feel that for the level of depth of both tactical and strategic gameplay that people are looking for, do you think a 32-person battle is sufficiently large, um, or does it need to go bigger than that? Like, you know, Planet Side 2 is probably kind of the far end of that scale, and, you know, technically thousands of people in a fight, um, or should it stay smaller? You know, 32-person, maybe 64-person, kind of on that 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 end of the scale. And, and what kind of benefits do you see uh, from both of those? So I'm kind of going to open it to the floor. Uh, just kind of jump in if you want to discuss something and, and, and let us know your thoughts. I've been playing a lot of Battlefield 1 recently, and that game is 32v32, so 64 people total. Um, and I really feel like if the maps are big enough... And you know it's it doesn't feel too crowded. Then yeah, if you want to do thirty-two v thirty-two, fucking go for it, dude. Um, there are times, you know, even playing Battlefield One, where I'm the only one on a point, and you know, sixty-three other people are somewhere else. Um, not that that's a bad thing. I I, I kind of like that at, at, at times. It, it feels uh, it just feels different. I like it. Um, but yeah, if you can do, if the maps can handle a larger number of people, yeah, fucking go for it. Now, what I don't want to see is like, we're going to jack up how many people go in the match just because we can, right? I, I, I don't think that that's healthy. Um, but if you can do it, fucking do it, dude. I guess my comment on this is that higher player counts, along with good game mode design and good map design, they really do qualitatively change the type of play that you can see, right? Not only can you support kind of a, a richer potential like planetary conquest meta type thing with different battle sizes, but also if you have larger battle sizes, you can kind of, uh, this is probably an unfortunate word to use, you can kind of amortize costs um, for for tactical investments on teams. So what I mean by that is like, if you have a 16v16 and, and you're running one team, then if you commit four to six people to any particular 
uh, task, then the task needs to be dedicated to the primary objective because it's simply too much of a percentage of your entire team value not to do that, right? Um, I mean, maybe the, the max you can sacrifice is two or three people to, to do some kind of auxiliary role. For instance, in Dust, you could think of people hunting vehicles, right? Maybe you could put three people hunting vehicles, but but really what you had to rely on was jack-of-all-trades people, in particular squads, being able to shift on the fly. Um, in a larger battle, you're able to support more people, or you're able to support more auxiliary units doing that kind of thing. Um, and you're also able to, to switch people on and off from different roles uh, with, with less... Um, with less detraction from your ability to to do your main objective. So there is a qualitative difference between that and what Pokey's about to say. So <laughs> Yeah, we we've we've obviously had this discussion quite a bit. Um and, and I I'll I'll admit, you know, there are definitely advantages to both. Um however this kind of goes back to a bit what Bate was saying is that um if the map is large enough to support the players. And I think that that's um, that's a pretty key point because I think player density is really crucial. Um, because yeah, you can stick 128 guys, you know, 64 v 64 in an open field, and you can cram them into one spot, and it'll be a total clusterfuck. You know, it, 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 at that point, the player skill starts to go out the window because it's so chaotic that you don't really have control over what's going on. You're being shot from every side, or you know, it. it you start to lose kind of the individual um, input. And so what you do is you push the map size out. That's reasonable. You know, you've got more players, you make a bigger map. Um, and I'm, I'm of course, going to go into, into MAG here because MAG is, of course, the 256-player game, and it's it's definitely the best example we have of, of really large-scale um, lobby-based um, shooting. But the, the maps in Dust are like five square kilometers. <laughs> Stop. Well, I, I, I will say that that it was very clear that certain maps and certain sockets were not designed for player counts as low as Dust had. Um, some of the later ones, I think, were, but some of the larger ones, it was like, e this was actually meant to, to have, like, you know, 48, 64 people on it, not the 32 that they had. So well, They were that, very that was, spread out, and they didn't have assets, is the thing. They, they would be big maps, and they wouldn't have that many assets on them, <laughs> because yeah, so they couldn't... Do it. Like it was. It was just big open space, and you spend a lot of time running around and, and not doing anything, um, which is also boring. I mean, that's what happens. The opposite effect. If you have too much space and not enough players to fill it. Um, so let's go back to what we were saying before, where you've got, let's say, your map is properly sized for the number of players you have, um, and you can crank that number up bigger and bigger, bigger as, as big as you want, as big as the system will allow for, um, and your map should scale appropriately. It's going to get to a point, however, where if I'm a dude on the objective, and let's assume the objectives are spaced out reasonably so that you know it facilitates the full use of the map so people aren't just clustered in one spot because we want to spread them out and make them even. Let's say I'm a dude on the south objective, and it's literally five kilometers north because um, I've got a ton of guys in the match, and there's someone on the north objective up there doing something. Feasibly speaking, in your average, most common situation, I am never going to see that guy. I'm never going to have line of sight. I'm never going to shoot at him. Um, him and I are never going to even be shooting at the same target. He is so far away that he might as well not exist because I'm never going to interact with him. So what's the point? 
you get to a point where it's so big that you're not going to even see the other things that are going on. Is it cool? Absolutely. Is it would it be awesome to have 256 players, you know, 500 plus players on one map? That would be cool. But from a gameplay perspective, I, I feel like there's a point where it doesn't add anything more, or it, it's gotten so big, so large scale that yes, the concept is cool, and you could theoretically, you know, pick up your guys and abandon your southern objective and fly to the north and help reinforce the guys there. Sure, that's that's possible, but that's that's not going to be the norm, in my opinion. I don't think that that's going to happen frequently enough where it makes it worthwhile to have battles that large. Well, I think um, I think you just hit hit the nail on the head. Is is what makes it worth it? Um, to, I mean, to be honest with you, you can have some really really incredibly well laced together gameplay with I don't know, just pulling it out of my head, but six on six, you know, four and four. You can have really really well-toned combat for that um when you get it up into the bigger to the bigger numbers what you're really doing is you're changing the nature of the game um and that's okay you just but again it goes back to that concept of you know there's deliberate design choice so um 16 is kind of a weird number you know particularly you know but again it's all based on the size of the maps so i think what you're really looking at is do you want these do you want uh, to me the optimal way to do it is you actually have echelon modes like different modes depending on what you're doing you could have six on six fights that are basically in one of the large sockets that you'd have in a dust map you could have much bigger fights that were over the length of one of these you know you know almost uh, ghost recon wildland size maps you know something like that uh, it just really kind of depends. I mean, ultimately, what do you want out of the match? Is it designed as just lobby shooter where nothing, where you're just cycling through different matches and matches and matches, or is it tied to something else? Is it you know tied to some big, huge faction war thing or whatever? Uh, that's actually where scale becomes really fascinating as part of the gameplay because there's a sense of organization to it, and there's you know, there's all these other secondary benefits you get from it again all starting back and assuming that the map the map what the characters can do the players can do and the number of players all jives because as we found out in many game in many games dust being you know one of the most egregious of it if you have like two of anything it's pretty cool to have it on your team when you have 16 of the same thing it's really problematic for everybody so it's it's just kind of one of those things where you got to really understand what it's what it's about because you get different styles of gameplay or, or different different kind of uh, overarching tones of gameplay based on size. I kind of like I, I kind of like where where Bates at though, like the old you know what Battlefield One or Battlefront One and whatever it was with sixty four dudes. That's actually okay. I mean, it's that game's also not really designed to have organized gameplay either. It's literally just. Yeah, here's a bunch of dudes sprinkled across the map, and you know, some are some are red and some are blue. You know, that kind of thing. So I mean, I think that's a very good point, right? Like, I think that a there's a lot of room if you're looking at some kind of planetary conquest style meta game. There's a lot of room to have different sizes of battles if your game design. And, and this is difficult, but like if you've if you put the time in and have the ability to run different sizes of battles. Um, and I, I get what you're saying, Pokey, where there's like there's a line where it you know it, things cluster out a little bit. But I feel like that line is more towards Planet Side Two than it is towards Mag, for instance. Like Mag was artificially chopped up in, intentionally, 
and that was partially a performance thing. But I feel like at even 128 versus 128, you can design gameplay experiences. You can design a map and a game mode that will support that many people and have good interactivity. I think once you start getting towards like 256 v 256 and and you know 512 versus 512, once you start getting up into thousands and things like that, I mean, not that that's even technically possible, but but just as a theoretical thing, I think that's where you start getting some really severe clustering going on. Yeah, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that that 32 players in a match is optimal. Um, I think it's a it's a decent number for a lot of game modes, particularly for for pub matches where you're just trying to fill the ranks and, and push the fight through. Um, I think uh, 64 is probably you know pretty reasonable if you really want to get crazy with 128. Um, but that's that's pushing. I think you start to kind of run into some design issues there, and and that's kind of that's kind of really, really I think the extreme upper limit of what I would I would push in that that kind of 120 range there. Um, and even then, I feel like you still have to somehow subdivide it up a little bit so that you don't feel completely lost. Because if you've got five objectives, even if they're spread out, and you've got 128 guys fighting over them, you're going to feel kind of lost, I think. I think it gives a sense of my my personal individual fight of what I'm doing feels very insignificant because I'm only one guy out of 128. Um I think more segmented individual objectives, kind of like how Mag did, um, maybe not to that extreme, but the sense of this is kind of this area of the map that we, we need to control. And we're going to kind of dedicate a certain number of people there. And, and they are they're, they're meant to basically, you know, take this, this, this section, capture and control it and, and stay there. They're not meant to go running all over the place because, you know, that that little segment, that 32-man fight, that 64-man fight that they're personally in is still part of a larger fight, right? Um, they're still part of the, the whole battle, but they still feel more relevant because they're in kind of this slightly encapsulated area where it's like, yeah, what I'm doing is important. My personal contribution is very important to my immediate objective, and that immediate objective is also then important to the larger objective of winning the whole fight. Um one thing that I do have concerns about, though, with Planetary Conquest is that if you have, you know, 64 people on a side, 128 people total, or, you know, whatever number you pick, it becomes increasingly difficult. And you obviously, Lita, you've worked with, with PC uh, a bit more than I have. Um, trying to get 64 people online at once that are, you know, it's going to be very difficult for a lot of a lot of groups. And I think that that's also important to look at the scale of how you design the game is that, Large-scale content is great, but you don't want to completely push out smaller groups that still want to participate. I feel like that, you know, there needs to be a place for for smaller groups that can still feel relevant. Um, The stakes might be a little different. Um, What they're doing specifically might be different. They might be capturing different kinds of territory. But I feel like that, you know, you can have your megacorps that have, you know, 500 people in it, and they can probably push out 64 guys at a moment's notice pretty easily but you know the the 100 man corpse the 50 man corpse i feel like they still need to have a place that they can participate they aren't forced to join a megacorp to, to even play the game and so you have to have game modes that are also segmented for those so they can be relevant in, in what they're doing yeah i mean that's that's extremely important for some type of pc design right i certainly wouldn't envisage even if you had a 64 v 64 mode uh having that be an everyday thing that would be like you know big alliances own, you know, 
this nice territory. And if right. you push them to the last, you know, if you push them to the to the kind of end of one of their nicest pieces of stuff, then it's a, a big fight, right? Um, but but it is really important to to have in some kind of PC space different size battles, right? Um, I, they don't necessarily have to be worth as much in terms of like if you're thinking of land either. Um, but but also I think that this emphasizes something that that you mentioned. I think that that um, that something to learn from Eve and from Dust is that the alliance is still a very useful uh, unit of organization to to use for the meta game. People are very attached to their corporations in in these games, um, uh, especially in, in Eve, but in Dust as well. Like uh, as it trickled towards the end, a lot of times people have small friend groups or, or kind of medium sized friend groups or core groups of people that they really like hanging out with and they like being associated with and um and they'd rather not give that up right they'd rather not merge into some gigantic mega corporation there are only a couple games that have been really successful at producing those types of organizations mag was one of them i mean i was a member of kq so that's a joke but um but (laughs) i remember uh, planet side 2 also had the enclave um for instance, which was massive, um, and of course Eve has some some mega corporations, but and, and oftentimes a mega corporation forms the core of one of the the big alliances, right? But they still have smaller corporations that that hang off as well and and associate. I think it's really important to have a niche where people can can do that, right? Um, so I I guess what I'm saying is I'd be really sad to see um, see alliances abandoned. In, in Nova, for instance. And, and that's a fair point. I think you raised a, a good example of, you know, you might have a big 128-player match, um, but it's not something that a corporation alone is expected to handle. It's it's a it's a big deal. It's something that happens very infrequently. Um, it does happen, of course. It, it, it's a part of, of kind of the overarching, and we'll say planetary conquest, but it, it can be anything. Um kind of that upper echelon competitive level of, of gameplay and having it be kind of alliance owned. Um, you could even argue, dare I say Citadel style where it's, it's not one group typically that's going to build this thing. It's, it's a, it's a cluster of, of corporations that are going to work together and they own this asset um, and they defend it. And it's, it's a, it's a big deal. You know, that's kind of the, the grand spectacle of, of that level of play is these, these, really truly massive battles over it's multiple groups working together um, to defend or, or attack it. I think that's fine. Um, but is that like a goal you should shoot for immediately? I, I don't think that that is what I would consider core gameplay, um, which is kind of, kind of the, the point of this is, you know, what's, what's kind of the core gameplay you're expecting, you know, even in pub matches or just your average um, high level competitive planetary conquest, whatever you want to call it. Um, what's a good size that you're shooting for? And I, I think that it comes down to a number of things. Like like we've talked about, you know, uh, the size so that you can have a, a tactical choice of, you know, am I moving, can I d- dedicate a certain number of people to a task in a way that's meaningful and not overly encumbering to the entire group? And obviously, as you have a larger group, you can do more of that. You can kind of dictate and say, I want eight guys to go over here and 16 to go over there. And, and you have the manpower to do that. That, that does offer uh, an interesting level of gameplay. I think that, that is important. Um, 
perhaps for some game modes, you know, the 64-man fight or 128. Again, that's kind of pushing the upper upper limit. Um, but you, you still need to maintain that encapsulated. If I'm in a squad of eight, I need to feel like I can be relevant in this fight rather than just standing in a field with a hundred other guys shooting each other, you know? I mean, that comes down to game mode design, right? And I think in the in the mag sense, hacking hacking the uh, the game up into multiple discrete sub-objectives is the smart ticket. And this is something that I think most FPS games have caught on to, um, is that, you know, you you want progress to be obvious, so that it's exciting. Um, and I, I think if you do that right, you can support, you know, much more fluid battles. But, but I mean, you, you ask kind of what, what is the core gameplay? Something that Rattati has mentioned is that, you know, he considered PC like the, some part of the killer app for Dust, right? Like he, he said before that this was a big deal. I think that if you want to really think about what would be core, what would be a good thing to do first, right? before you tried to rebuild a planetary conquest type game mode, because that's, you're asking a lot of, in terms of game design for that, right? You're, you're basically asking to, to design a kind of hybrid 4X space sim thing alongside an FPS. Um, maybe, maybe start, and I've suggested this before, is like start with something a little bit more controlled, like Fac War, where stuff is like a, just a little bit, Maybe have some player input, but there's a lot more like just admin automated control as well. And, and that way, you know, if you want to have battles that are larger, for instance, or smaller, then then the game spins those up based on some reasoning or another. And at the end of the day, you're not asking people to um, you're not asking people to invest a lot of like their own time into uh, kind of the strategy and tactics above and beyond, if that makes sense. I, I think one of the, the big mistakes with, with Dust and PC was that, you know, they put out this thing, it wasn't quite there, and a lot of people who were very dedicated to the game burnt out very quickly trying to make it work. So avoiding that would be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point. And, and you know, like you said, it, it's kind of, this is an interesting discussion with, with kind of you said the, the AI-coordinated um, pattern of how... The, the overall strategic um, plan kind of plays out based off of what happens in, in the individual battles. Um, and I've, I've of course talked about this ad nauseum before, but the idea of you've got battles that are linked with each other. Um, may that be in, in real time where they're, they're happening simultaneously or, you know, progressively where the effects of one fight will modify something in a, in a later fight in a different area. And it may not even be you playing in that, that other fight, but it has affected kind of the overall, um, War, so to speak, um, and I think that's you know that's kind of also the alternative um, to the big map design, where instead of segmenting things up in the map like Mag did, where you've got basically four quadrants of sixty-four people um, fighting, and they add up to the full two fifty-six. Um, you have actually separate maps entirely, where they're not physically connected to one another, um, and this might be something as simple as you've got a group inside the ship versus a group on the outside of the ship. And we've, they've already mentioned last, uh, last time I talked about this, that there was a, a map 
in the, the test build um, where they're on the outside of the ship fighting. And what happens on either side um, affects what's going on in the other one. And you can't necessarily transfer from one map to the other, but it is that sense of I'm part of a larger battle that's going on. And what I do is, of course, extremely important for my individual fight, but it is also relevant. Uh, my success as a team is relevant in the overall fight for everyone else who's linked to me. And I think that does kind of offer some interesting opportunities with uh what i was talking about before with you know you need a place where smaller groups can feel relevant but still part of the larger war where you could have and jay actually kind of touched this a little bit um early on i think where you can have extremely meaningful fight of a 6v6 you know battle you got six guys you know fighting other team very small scale very tactical individual contributions extremely important um you put like your, your really elite guys in this fight and the result of that fight could be just as important as the linked battle that is 64 guys you know you can put a larger group they may not be as you know a team but they're still part of the corporation they want to participate in their you know they're your some of your best guys and so that large battle is linked to the very small battle and they may have equal or, or maybe disproportionate weights in what the result of their fight is, but it does allow you to kind of set up these different kind of settings that are relevant for each group of, you know, skill level versus, you know, corporation size. And it does kind of offer the opportunity for some more unique settings. I think, like I said, you, on the inside, the outside of a ship, that's kind of got that cool factor to it, right? Like, you know, it, it plays off of the spectacle of EVE Online that you can show very different settings that are all part of kind of the same combined battle. You know, one might be on a planet, one might be on a ship, one might be on a space station. They're all interacting um, indirectly uh, in a sense. You know, you've got the space station might be dropping orbitals or whatever, um, but you're still relevant within your own little fight, which may or may not be the same size. It may mean different things, but it does kind of give that opportunity to kind of play around with the game design, I think, and and give players different experiences that's not going to be the same every time. I mean, you may spawn into a pub match. It might be 6v6. It might be a 32-man battle. It, it could vary. Um, the setting varies. The size varies. The style of what you're doing varies. And I think that that kind of brings a little bit more longevity to your standard FPS where it's like, you know, like three game modes and it's always kind of the same thing it's just a different setting you know and i think that could really kind of bring um, a level of uniqueness to the game design in terms of you know feeling part of a larger universe while still giving an engaging play experience within your own individual battle i mean there there are a lot of kinds of things like that that are possible i guess the the comment i usually make on unlinked stuff is that it can be difficult to balance right because sure. I mean, one of the this was the big downfall of Mag. Like, this is something that frustrated, um, like a lot of the people I played with was you could go into like a domination uh, game and fight perfectly well with your thirty-two people, and because of the way the the game mode was designed, there was almost no way for you to to help, say, like all of the three other platoons. Right? Maybe you could aid one a little bit. But actually, the game was set up in such a way that it was fairly difficult even to, to help one other platoon. Um, and, and what that would make it feel like is that you had four different battles, but someone else could lose the game for you. Um, and I think that's something that you have to be very careful to avoid when attempting this sort of linked thing. You, you, don't, want, you don't want such strong linking conditions that it can feel like I mean, maybe it's okay to make it a little bit unfair, maybe, 
but not so much that you you're like i couldn't have possibly overcome the fact that my other six people that we can't talk to just fucked up right like yeah and and that's a very valid concern i think that your individual battle should still have a very definitive win-loss condition um that's isolated within that fight so you know you are responsible for that but you know there may be additional bonuses or rewards or lasting effects if your contribution to the other battle was enough to help them win um that you're still encouraged to do those secondary objectives or or whatever it may be uh, because winning the whole grand battle is actually much more rewarding than your own personal one. But at the same time, you shouldn't feel like you got totally screwed because, you know, the guy on the inside of the ship screwed up and now you get nothing, you know, that that's, that's not fun either. So you're right. It is a definitely a a balanced choice that has to be really carefully levied. But, you know, again, I just kind of want them to try to maybe explore different options of of what they can do and give themselves the tools they can to, to kind of mix it up a bit and not just have big map style for everything, you know? I mean, and, and, you know, Jay mentioned, we've, we've all mentioned having uh, different size of battles at, you know, different points in time as well. I think an interesting approach to that is like, and, and this is something I suggested for, for kind of cross gameplay as well, uh, when that was on the table. Um, effects that affect both of the teams that are going to play a subsequent battle that aren't, that, that are significant and like aren't like necessarily positive or negative like maybe they can just be weird stats changes right so that if you if your your team is benefited by i don't know uh armor taking three percent less damage during a fight or something right um then maybe you should send in a six-man team and you know accomplish the objective that gives you all armor takes three percent less damage but maybe your opponent also does armor, right? So it cancels out, or maybe they can, or maybe they can call in people, you know, this sort of thing, right? There's a, So there's a degree of adaptability that you can have, but you can still try to, to sort of change the odds in your favor a little bit. But you still have to play out the game, and it affects everyone. Right, yeah, and then that's that's also a fair way to to, to look at. It. Like I said, there's kind of persistent, um, lasting effects. So you can make that choice if it if it is beneficial for you know the way that your team is planning on playing. Um, that could be an interesting way to handle it as well. All right, guys. Well, this this show's going really long. <laughs> I do apologize. Um, there's a lot of stuff to talk about this week. Is there anything else on this particular topic before we kind of bring this one in for a close? I think they fell asleep on me. Um, one thing that I, I did want to cover real quick, and this is kind of a quick rundown. Um, uh, obviously, I got sick a couple weeks ago, and we kind of, I think, fell out of the habit of doing our uh, freebie game reviews uh, for a couple weeks, so I do apologize for that. Um, however, I do want to kind of quickly go over uh, the free games that are going on for PlayStation Plus uh, and for the Xbox. So I've got those listed out here. So um, I'll do the PS, uh, PS Plus ones um, as usual, and then Bait will, will handle the Xbox ones. And again, we'll kind of go back and forth each week and, and review one um, and kind of give you guys our, our thoughts on it. So uh, I'm going to go first with PlayStation Plus. Uh, so the games that are going to be free for uh, the month of May, uh, Tales from the Borderlands for the PS4. Um, this one actually kind of looks interesting. I, 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 I Never picked it up, but I'm a big Borderlands fan, and I've, I'd like to see kind of how they do their take on, on that storyline and whatnot, so that'd be kind of cool. Um, and then Abzu, which is kind of the underwater diving um, flower-like game, if you play Flower from uh, that software company. Uh, it's not really a game, more of kind of a, an experience, right? Um, that's also for PS4. Uh, Blood Knights for PS3. Uh, Point 
Port Royale 3, Pirates and Merchants for PS3, uh, and then for cross-buy, which is the ones that you can get on PlayStation Vita, and if you get it from Vita or for PS4, you get it for the other platforms, so it's for Vita and PS4. Uh, there's Laser Disco Defenders and uh, Typewriter. So um, I'll probably give Tales of the Borderlands a shot uh, and come back to you with a review for that next week, and then Bait will follow up uh, uh, the following week. So, Bait, do you want to go over the uh, Xbox Gold games real quick for us? Yeah, um, so the list is looking kind of sad, honestly, um, but I'm kind of excited to play uh, a few of them. So we have the Gianna Sisters, Twisted Dreams, the Director's Cut. I know absolutely nothing about this game, so I will download this shit tomorrow and start messing around with it. Um, and we have Laura Croft in the Temple of Osiris, one of the ones I'm looking forward to playing. Um, we have Star Wars The Force Unleashed 2, which is the shittiest game in the, in, out of the two of those Force Unleashed games. Um, I will not be playing that game. And then we have like, Star Wars The Complete Saga. Uh, fantastic game. I played the show that when I was like eight years old or however the fuck old I was when that game came out. So, All right. Yeah. And so we'll, we'll kind of get back to the swing of things. Again, I do apologize that we... Like I got sick and it kind of it kind of fell apart because I was too miserable to actually test anything out. So I do apologize for that. But that being said, uh, let's go into our shoutouts here. So I'm gonna start at the top of the list with Zell. No, you've had two hours. You don't have an excuse. I was asleep for like one of them. That that it's a lie. It is. It is kind of a lie. Yes. Um. I um, was like literally asleep. She actually fell asleep. She came back though. <laughs> She did come back. She's alive. I figured she just said, I'm done with this space nerds to shut up and just left. But she came back, so we're good. Um, Honestly, well, no. What happened is it disconnected me, and then I was like, these guys. Yeah, it sounds like you're having a lot of connection issues breaking out. with that, that phone app. It's in it. Um, but yeah, we're, we're just kind of doing shout-outs right now, so we'll come up, we'll get to you in a second here, but uh, I'm stalling for Zell so we can come up with something real quick, I, and you're, you're just, out of time. Just, um, okay, so I'm going to give a shout-out to um, a new social network I've been playing with. I've been using uh, Mastodon, which is um, a decentralized uh, Twitter knockoff. Um, and so there are like uh, over a thousand different servers that you can uh, be on, and, and then they all interconnect with each other. So uh, if you don't like the the particular people you're dealing with, you can go somewhere else. And it's been lots of fun because there's been all this drama about, um, like, there's the, the free speech people there that are, like, cool. Since there's no overarching authority over all the instances, that means nobody can really silence us. And there's the safe space people that want to block all the instances that have the free speech people on them. So it's, it's, it's really interesting, and um, it, there's cool people there, and that's where I've been social networking lately. Because Zell is a hipster and hates anything that's popular. Well, I, no, my my previous Except social Overwatch. my previous social network was Google Plus, and that thing's taken a dive. So, Zell, Zell, what? I'm gonna be honest with you. You can't take a dive if you start at the bottom of the lake. Like you're already <laughs> there. Like, there's there's nowhere else to go, buddy. It never even got to the surface. So come on. I'm just surprised. That you would use Google Plus. I mean, it, it, I, I started using it back when I was a, a raging Google fanboy, and um, it's been uh, it's been it was the last thing for me to get rid of. You were a raging Google fanboy at one point. This yes. makes this makes there, everything so much clearer to me. There, there are people in my life who 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 still think of me as like the Google fan. I kid you not. See, the problem is you get a little too deep in with something, you start to see underneath that nice little shiny PR cover. 
And then you start to figure out what's going on. You, I got far enough involved with Google to, to not be happy with what I saw. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bate, you're up, man. Dude, you're fucking weird, man. Uh, I'd like to give a shout out to um, motherfucker. Uh, okay, so Lethar was talking about talking about corpse that you know that you know your your group of friends. So I'd like to give a shout out to my corporation, Incorruptibles. You guys are are fun to, to talk with on Discord, so that's cool. Um, shout out to a friend of mine who came over with armed with uh, some sweets. Uh, she came and she made some Greek thing called uh, baklava, which is I guess it's just like fucking walnuts and syrup. Uh, it's really it's good. good. Hey, so oh, it is you're killing tasty. me. What? What did I do? All right, I want you to get on, get on the Google machine, get on okay. the Zelle machine, uh-huh. look it up. Actually, understand that it's layer upon layer of phyllo dough. I'm, I'm take lo- great I'm pleasure on. in utilizing honey. And not just walnuts, and not just syrup. Bastard. There's about a thousand and one things that goes into good baklava. All right, most of which has nothing to do with whatever it is you usually eat. I am on mygreekdish.com. I was I had to scroll through seven pages because I couldn't remember the name of it, but I found it. So, oh my gosh! Uh, yeah. oh, and, there, she, she and here's pie. Jay to school everyone on culture and food. Oh my god! She brought pie too. It was chocolate and peanut butter pie. So. Yeah, that's my shout out. All right, our our favorite mumble mobile user. What's your shout out? Yes, yes, you. <laughs> I'm not gonna butcher the name again, so I'm getting around it sideways. Uh, give me a moment. I guess she zelled it. Like most of. I I couldn't we couldn't hear anything. Uh, I, I, think, I think we'll we'll we'll, we'll give her a pass for now. Um, we we get the the yeah her sounds kind of messed up, so we'll give her a pass. So, Lether, I'm gonna move on to you, buddy. Yeah, my shout out goes to Ed Balls. Who's that? Um, so he's a, a <laughs> British politician. Um, I think yesterday or the day before was Ed Balls Day. Something like six years ago. He uh, he was a member of parliament, I think, and he just tweeted, Ed Balls. As it turned out, he was trying to search for himself on Twitter, oh. but he tweeted it instead. <laughs> okay. And subsequently, yeah. it became Ed Balls Day. So my shout out goes out to Ed yeah, Balls. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing a, a picture of uh, an ad on the tube that someone made. This is 20th of April, Ed Balls Day. Never forget, with a picture of him. <laughs> Okay, I understand now. Uh, all right, Jay, you're up, man. Okay, uh, two mutually exclusive shout-outs. One, uh, shout-out to the black-and-white version of Logan that's coming out here, I think, in about the next month. It'll hit hit movie theaters. Very much looking forward to that. Probably one of the best movies I've seen in a long time. And uh, I think the black-and-white version uh, should be kind of interesting. I, I'll probably plunk some money down just to go watch that. Uh, and then shout-out number two to an interesting moment that I had to, I was having a conversation with somebody who is a, uh, who is championing Bill Nye, the science guy who for the record, I'm a big fan of, but at some point, uh, because Bill basically has asked questions about everything on any show he's been on. He he's on, he's just assumed to be this person that knows everything. Uh, that it's, I'm giving a shout out to that moment when you realize that believe it or not, Ivan Drago, Dolph Lundgren is actually more qualified to being referred to as a scientist than Bill Nye. 
Bill Nye has has a Bachelor of Science in, I think, mechanical engineering from like NYU or Cornell or something like that. Yes. Pretty pretty legit guy. Dolph Lundgren, all six foot six, like Danish boxer B action movie star. Bachelor of Science in Chemistry from Washington State. Bachelor of Science in Chemical Chemical Engineering uh, from I think Stockholm. Master of Science in Chemical Engineering from from the University of Sydney. And he's a Fulbright Scholar at MIT. <laughs> so I, I I will I will not name names, but uh, to the friend of mine that I was having to have this conversation with, you've been served. <laughs> All right. Have you seen his new show, Jay? Bill Nice. Uh, I have not. I just I happen to catch him literally on like it seems like every network and every talk show over the last probably six months talking about something. And he's he's a really smart guy, and I actually like a lot of where Bill Nye comes from. But uh, again, it goes back to the He's, you know, he's not actually the guy I would listen to reference climate change, you know, nuclear, is nuclear energy safe? You know, can this building stand up for, if you want to talk to me about like, how do you build a robot or, you know, how do you put together a bridge? I'm all about Bill Nye, <laughs> but, but some of the things he's asked for and then he commentates on, uh, it's, I'm a little shaky on. It was, um, it was really funny to me. Uh, literally yesterday, a friend of mine was like, clicking on a YouTube video while he was over here and involved Bill Nye. It's like, so climate change. And he just like clicks away the video. I'm like, if it was, and he says, if it was any other topic I'd listen, I'm like, dude, it's Bill Nye. It's the only thing he talks about these days. <laughs> what did you expect? It, it, it's actually funny in the first episode of his new show. Um, he's doing his thing. And then he goes, so climate change, the, the crowd kind of, he looks there and he goes, what, you think I go back on TV and the first thing I talk about isn't going to be climate change? <laughs> so, I mean, at least he's somewhere. Yeah, yeah, you're there. So, so the one thing like that I love about Bill Nye is during one of his shows, um, someone asks him, "What's what's the matter, Bill?" He's like, "Well, everything's the matter except energy, of course." <laughs> Uh, his his jokes on his new show are, are just about as cringy and and, and wonderful. So you know, um, I, I've I've actually been enjoying because it, it's the show is very clearly uh, marketed towards uh, the generation who grew up watching his first show because it's you know kind of the same uh, cringy humor, but you know it, it's obviously been um, uh, it's a little bit of an, an older audience uh, market. So it's it's been enjoyable. Um, since you're on your, your comms working now, did you want to give a quick shout out? Well. I was actually thankful that the the first shout out didn't go off quite well because it was extremely awkward. So I think I think I'll refrain. <laughs> do you have another one you want to do, or are you gonna pass? Sure. I want to give a shout out to Zelly because he's awesome and he brought me in here and he's been my friend for a long time. And you're just keep it up. D did you just call him Zelly with like a Y at the end? I, I think I'm going to be stuck with this I one, unfortunately. I think you've got your new podcasting name forever. Episode title. Okay. that's. that's I, I want to thank you for giving us the gift. That is the amazing, Zelly. The amazing giant Zelly fish. <laughs> Episode title gets that's it's giving it the giant Zelly fish. Okay. Okay. See, okay, here's here's what I point out that uh, I am I am the selector of of episode titles, and uh, th certain some things won't pass muster. 
Yeah, well, Aww, I'm on the selector roof of everything else, so we'll get it in there one way or the other. Um, all right, uh, my shout out uh, is, of course, to our guests. Thank you for, for coming on. It's it's obviously uh, it's good to have a good discussion. Um, Leith and I can go on and on and on for hours on end, and, and unfortunately, I have to cut it short because we're already well past the two-hour mark. So I, I do appreciate you coming on, and of course, everyone else. It's it's great. Um, I do want to give a specific shout out though to uh, Thaddeus Reynolds over on the Discord channel. Um, it, was, it was insane. So Rotati comes in, he's like, "So, what's your favorite corporation in NPC Corporation, and why?" Because we're kind of doing this design level thing of, you know, we want to match the lore of the corporations to the kind of stats and stuff you see for these weapons. And Thaddeus pulls out like like five pages of stuff he's written for like every single corporation in the game for like empire space and just like flops on the table and <laughs> Rattati's like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, I just, I got bored one day. So I wrote all this down and it, it's all really, really good stuff. I think it's actually pinned in the discord channel. If, if you want to go check it out. Um, but yeah, no, like, like legit work. Like the stuff was really, really well, really well written. He went and like did all the research and pulled all the flavor text from Eve and, and dust and all this other crazy shit and put it together. And it was just, I was very impressed. And then Ritati pretty much just like picked it up and handed it to the dev team and said, okay guys, they did all the work for us. So um, shout out to you, man. It was, it was actually really impressive stuff. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, again, that being said, uh, I want to appreciate all of our guests coming on, all of our listeners. Um, I do want to encourage you to go on to our website or our YouTube channel and, um, you know, Biomass Podcasts on YouTube and uh, check out the new uh, Dungeon Crawl series we're doing where I'm playing through and dying a lot in Resident Evil 7. Um, once we get through that, I will uh, probably work on some of the Dark Souls games. That'll be pretty fun. So do go check that out. Give us your comments. Let us know if you like that. Um, again, if you want to be on the show, if you want to be the guest on the show, if you want us to have a specific topic, even if it is about, uh, you know, EVE Online, Tentacle Porn Wars, um, you know, we, <laughs> we will talk about it. So um, just let us know. Uh, but that being said, everyone, please have a great night and be safe out there. And thanks for tuning in.